When my landlord said rent could be cheaper if we were friends with benefits, you know, I'd heard of sexual harassment in the workplace, but at home? That is housing discrimination based on sex. I'm legally blind. A landlord recently said that he didn't think I'd be able to take care of an apartment on my own and refused to rent to me. That is also housing discrimination. A real estate agent said that we'd be more comfortable living in a different neighborhood with people like us. Luckily, we know our rights. It's illegal to steer prospective homeowners away from or to certain neighborhoods based on race or national origin. If you think you've been discriminated or have questions about your rights, contact the Fair Housing Foundation at 800-446-FAIR or also online at fhfca.org. Fair housing is your right. This is a public service message by the Fair Housing Foundation and supported by the Department of Housing and Urban Development under FHIP grant PEI FPEI 220099. From the worst weekend of my life is... Hey, worst week of your life. Not just the weekend. It's bordering onto a full week is... Can't... Uh, no. <laughs> wrong podcast wrong again. Bad cat, yeah. Wrong Yeah. <laughs> wrong pat cat. You're right. Yeah. This is L.A. Meekly, the Los Angeles... A Los Angeles history pie. What are what, uh, what the... What are the, the other ones even listen to us to fight us on it? No. They don't. What, do the other ones even know we exist? No, they don't. We can say whatever we want right now. Guess what? I'm the bodybuilding champion of the world. (laughs) Is Arnold Schwarzenegger circa 1985 (laughs) listening to this? Maybe. Maybe. He is a Terminator. He could have come into the future. He has free time. (laughs) He's not governor anymore. He's not governor. He's got, you know, he's got a couple days off. Greg, what does he do? Huh? What does he do? Where's Arnold Schwarzenegger now when we need him most? Run his social media network. I don't know. Does he even have one? I don't know. What is he doing? <laughs> and that's what a taste of what you're going to get. Here. <laughs> you're not going to get that on the other LA History podcast. And they and they go over every politician and they go after them. What's Dolph Lundgren listening to? That's what they're talking about on the other ones. But we're here to talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger. But let me explain. Greg said podcat. Yeah. So pod-cat. we'll address the cat. Let's do that. That isn't in the room right now. It's been a rough few days, yes, uh, or rather a meow few days. Phantom is not here because he ate some foam mat that he shouldn't have eaten. In his defense, though, it looked really good. Yeah, the, you showed me the foam mat, and I yeah. thought, mm, okay. Is he going to finish that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want to split it? Is this up for dibs? Is that for grabs, I mean? I know it's been in the trash, <laughs> and it's also a foam mat, but... He ate some stuff he shouldn't have eaten. Yeah. He uh, almost died and he had surgery early, early, early this yeah. morning. He's doing fine, which is why Good we're recording. He's he's going to be okay, but he's not here right now. So everyone send, send some nice wishes, Phantom's way. Yeah, send some nice foam his way. <laughs> We're accepting all foam, (laughs) even the kind that like that they spray at parties and clubs circa 2005. He'll he'll eat that too. We'll we'll, we'll accept silly string. (laughs) We'll accept yoga mats. Anything he could choke on. (laughs) Um, But he's doing okay. I I was considering making this this part of the month, but I'll just uh, give him a a shout out. Uh, Eagle Rock Animal Emergency Mm -hmm. uh, were very helpful. They helped with uh, paying for a very expensive surgery. Yeah. Uh, they they gave us a break a little bit and they've been very kind and saved our cat's life. That's and he's going to be here next month. You'll be hearing him interrupting the recording. Uh, <laughs> he'll be, it'll be as if nothing ever happened. Well, actually, 
The real history of the river, that's going to be him next month. Once. <laughs> Have you ever seen Los Angeles plays itself? <laughs> meow. Um, meow. <laughs> also, why is there, why, where'd all the foam go in this place? <laughs> place sucks now. Where's all the foam? <laughs> you, do you have another cat in here? Be honest. Did he eat all the foam? He ate all my delicious foam I While left? While I was gone? Yeah. But yeah, it's been a, a, a ridiculous few days, a very sad few days. Everyone's been very worried, but yeah. he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. I'm happy to hear that. <sighs> yeah. And you did great. You did wonderful as cat parent. Uh, yeah. Speaking as the one who's responsible for this for Lee. Oh, so here's the thing. These mats that, so they were these foam rubber mats that were under the legs of our couch uh-huh. that were there to muffle the bass coming from our old bad neighbors who we've talked last about many laugh. times. They got the last laugh. Last on laugh. This. You thought just because you killed them and buried them in the desert that you won? No, brother. And I also called the Ghostbusters to get their ghosts away from me. I thought I was done with them. Yeah. I I've broke every Ouija board in the city. Just try to get through. Yeah, I, was, I, I said I called the Ghostbusters. I tried to DIY this. <laughs> I watched a YouTube video on it. <laughs> DIY stands for do it yokai. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I tried to get rid of them myself with a Ouija board. I, I unleashed some sort of a Baphomet. <laughs> you know, we'll deal with that when the time comes. Uh, when the when our finances can handle it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Of course. It, it'll be a minute. So, so this is Daniel's effort. <laughs> this is Greg Gonzalez. Oh, before we go even any further. Yeah. uh, So if I say anything stupid, particularly stupid uh, this episode, I was telling you I did get 11 hours of sleep last night. That's because the last night before that, we had three hours of sleep uh, waiting in an emergency room for seven hours. Uh, Yeah. You you and uh, Melissa walked me through just a couple. There's a handful of stories of the things you saw waiting in an animal hospital emergency room. So the place we went to, it was the only place. It was very expensive. It was a very ritzy place. They had this like Lavaza coffee machine that like it'll make you a mocha. It'll make all you right. all an espresso. It'll ma- and it made me a hot chocolate. And this was like, you're paying a thousand dollars. You might as well get a hot chocolate. He's right. And I've, I'm trying to convince myself it was the best hot chocolate I've ever had because it cost me a thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, how's that going? The convincing yourself part. Oh, it was so good, Greg. Okay. Greg, I'm telling you, it was the best hot chocolate <laughs> I've ever, ever had. <laughs> I would have paid $2,000 for it. I mean, in, in France, they pay $2,000 for this sort of hot chocolate. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so let's get into welcoming our new patron. Oh, this month. yes. A lighter note. This guy did not feed my cat foam, I don't think. So he's already on our good side. Yeah, you're already a better person than I am. <laughs> I thought he'd like it. Um, <laughs> So welcoming onto our Patreon patron list this month, we have Anthony Moreno. Hey, Anthony. I hope I can call you Tony. Message me if I can. Um, Can I call you? uh, Wait a minute. Sometimes we think that these patrons are just like Russian bots with like fake names. Anthony More? No. Hmm, interesting. So we've been punked yet again. Yet again. Uh, and it keeps happening. <laughs> we keep falling for it. We keep it. welcoming in Tony Clifton's, <laughs> thinking we're getting in Andy Kaufman. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I've been thinking about... Um, Tony Clifton? About, uh, yeah, uh, well, who? where does the line <laughs> between Tony Kaufman and, and Andy Andy Circus? I almost called you're, him Andy You're Kaufman. all over the place. <laughs> Would you get 11 hours of sleep? <laughs> I've been thinking about because Andy, Andy Kaufman, wait, Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman, Andy Tony Kaufman. Clifton. 
his whole thing of like when he died before he died, he's like, I'm going to be in the year like 2010. I'm going to be at this place at this time. Yeah. And everyone showed up, you know, he died, whatever, when long before that. And everybody showed up at that place at that date at that time. And he didn't show up. That's so funny. It's very like funny. what a funny last joke of like, haha, I'm actually dead. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've been, been dead, dead for, for several 20 years. years. Yeah. Uh, and I can't autograph all your stuff, which is all people wanted. Um, but look, we're here to talk about Anthony Moore. No. Thank you for supporting us, Anthony Moore. No. So you too can support us at patreon.com slash LA Meekly for as little as $5 a month. You'll get a handwritten postcard from us every single month. You can join it at every level, even lower than it, and you'll get a free official LA Meekly sticker. Here's the thing, though. Anthony Moore? No. <laughs> He also supported us on Candy is Dandy oh, did for our Candy Review Podcast. Thank you very much. And I need to call him out right now because he hasn't responded to me. Tell me what candy you want to become. Because when you join us on our, pa- oh, yeah. for, on our Candy is Dandy Patreon, you get a Kevin Smith, who is a, prof- not that one, a professional artist will draw you as your favorite candy for signing up with us. And he hasn't gotten back to me of what he wants to become. So I know you're listening to this because you pay us to listen to this. So let me know so we can get that going for you because um, you are, you are owed that. You, you hit the brakes and the way you emphasized and made it not clear at the moment. Tell me which kind of candy you would like to become is such a threatening thing to say. Uh, because I'm something of a Dr. Moore? <laughs> no. No, I've had enough. Um, I'm calling you out in front of all of your fellow Meeklinaires. Meeklinaires. <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, let us know. And uh, now let's get to our thing of the month. Before we get to oh, March, yes. let's talk about uh, February. February. Um, what would you... in The, the love month. That's yeah. I saw a billboard for Hallmark and they started calling it Loveuary. And I was like, come on, it's the love month. Everyone know it's trademarked. It's, it's called love the love month. month. I don't like the love you, Ari. It's a, it's, it's a very like peaks and valleys word for your mouth to do. Love you, Ari. Love you, Harry. Love you, Harry. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I prefer sexuary. <laughs> That's what I want to call it. So what did you do in the month of sexuary? Me and my lovely girlfriend Ada oh. went to oh, here we go. Pomona Antique Row. Oh, yeah, oh, baby. Oh, baby, baby. And I went to what I think might be one of the best record stores I've ever been to, right next to the Glass House. I believe it's on 2nd Street, 2nd Avenue. There's that's where the, you go to throw stones, right? Yeah. That's what <laughs> I think I better not. Um, right next to the Glass House is a Glass House record shop or Glass House record store. And it, fantastic records there. And we found a patsy This is in Pomona. In Pomona on their main drive or on like the arts area. Right by um, Cafe Con Libros. I think that's what it is. When we when we were filming that vid, that LA video, was Pomona one of the places we went to together or no? No, you went on your own and okay. I was mad because I wanted to go with Pomona's you. Pomona's a nice little place. It is, yeah. Well, that area, that area yeah. yeah that, uh, <laughs> don't leave that block, but it's a nice little place. <laughs> yeah, I, I like Pomona a lot, but that... that Antique Row and you know the the cobblestone little arts district. It's it's really lovely. I love walking around. Glass there. House Records. Glass House Records. I don't. I, I meant to look into this. And Where I you know. will throw the Rolling Stones <laughs> onto the cashier's counter. Um, because <laughs> you're you're required to be rude and you throw all of everything you want to buy at them. I don't even know if the Glass House is open anymore. And it made me sad because I've seen some of the best shows I've went to when I was this younger. This was a, a, a venue. A, venue, a really okay. famous venue. I, I don't know if they're still open because every time we go, it, it seems to be kind of dead. But Glass House, I remember and seeing... you can't look in right in there. It's yeah, a glass house. you can't. I feel like that's whole social distortion. 
one night. And really? Then, yeah, and the White Stripes we went to. Really? Last House when wow. they were famous. and I mean, they are still famous, but when I had heard <laughs> the, of the them who? and they were like, you know, right after Red Blood Cells or White Blood Cells, one of those two. Oh, Jack White's old band. Yeah, Jack White's old. Uh, oh, you've heard of him. Yeah, okay. I remember. Yeah. You know, I, I knew Jack White when he was still in the White Stripes. <laughs> That's how far back I go. By no, I mean I listened to a <laughs> yeah, White Stripes I heard song. him on the radio. What about you? What did you do last month? Well, I went to the Eagle Rock Animal. Um, <laughs> this one is relevant. It's not necessarily an LA thing, but it, it's relevant to this episode. And it was recommended by another one of our patrons, Alex Ago. Uh-huh. Hi. Uh, which also, again, is another Russian bot, Alex Ago. Ago? Alex. Yeah. Alex Ago. That's what they're trying to... Mm-hmm. Russia just wants us to stop podcasting for because we're telling the truth to Americans. Yep, finally. Alex recommended a website that I told you about. It's called justwatch.com. Yes. Because it's relevant to this. You can put in any movie and it will tell you where you can stream oh, it. Oh, right, like, right. Yeah. Uh, wh- where you can get it for free, where what subscriptions have it. And it was really helpful for oh, this great. episode. And Alex, I don't want to... I don't mean to dox him, but his addresses. <laughs> yeah. uh, he does film programming at USC. Oh, wow. That's so great. he uses this a lot to know like, well, where can I find these things? So it was very helpful to That's learn fantastic. that of uh, yeah, where you can. And I, it, in this episode, I put where I watched all these, but there are there are other ways hmm. by going to justwatch.com. Very interesting. So you can very find helpful. any any LA related thing and also just any movie in general. Yeah. I'm concerned mm-hmm. tiny yeah, to Los Angeles. If I'm feel like watching uh, The Rocketeer. Listen, know, my, right my, my cat got really sick so I can't come here break, you know. I'm still dealing with that. So if I found, if I just want to watch uh, you know, all the Back to the Future you know, just make it all feel better maybe I'll do that. I went to Vidiots to get some of mine. Then you can also go to Vidiots if you can't find it online. No, no, just go to justwatch.com. No, go to Vidiots or (laughs) Videotech, which has moved recently. So now let's get into this actual episode. Okay. So what is this? Hang on. I got three hours of sleep the yeah. other day. What am I doing Where right am, now? Why, oh, why aren't we both wearing pants? Is this a nightmare that we're both having? How did I get here? <laughs> my own apartment. How did I do this? Yeah, what are you doing What are you here? doing here? What have you done with Melissa and my cat? <laughs> we wanted to cover some documentaries, some LA documentaries. Because this is every year we tend to do a like LA horror movies, yeah. LA action movies. And we've We've tapped that out. So yeah. we haven't done LA documentaries. Yes. And I thought that would be fun to sort of have more of a more free form sort of thing, even though I've got six pages of notes, you as always I always do. do. A free form with tight structure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like bebop jazz that's like free flowing, but I also have practice yeah. for three days in a row. It's like if Watson, the original AI, <laughs> decided to start making bebop jazz. So we wanted to, to cover some documentaries. I know we did our top threes, was it last year, two years ago? Oh, yeah, we did. And I remember thinking like, I need to watch more documentaries. I didn't really have... I felt the same way because yeah. I was embarrassed of like, um, I think I saw the one about yeah. um, uh, the Oscars, the first <laughs> Oscars. Because in this one, we had joked about everybody like, like, okay, don't recommend Los Angeles Plays itself because yeah. we have gotten that recommended to us every single every day. Every day for the last uh, yeah. 15 years or whenever, 47 years when we started this podcast, yeah. I think. I made it a point to not watch it. Um, <laughs> I, I made it a point to watch only documentaries I haven't seen for this one. So that's why neither of us covered it. Because yeah. have you seen any of the ones that you picked? One of them I had seen, but okay. rewatching it was better because I, I'll, I'll get into it. But yeah, I, I wanted to rewatch after reading this guy's book. I wanted to do brand new things because exactly. Exactly what you were saying when we did that top three thing. I was like, thank God it's top three because I only have three. Like, yeah. I, I feel embarrassed that I haven't seen more. And now I've seen six more in the yeah. past month. And look at you. And I feel like I dare you to question me on anything. about. I know LA so document. much about the city and the, <laughs> and the artists that have come from it. 
and the art they made that represents Southern California. Ask me anything from skateboarding <laughs> to donuts, and I will be able to tell you anything about this city. We, we've we got a few, I think 11 we watched total, and we're just going to talk about a little bit about them and what it, what it meant to us, and uh, let's get going. Okay, let's well, get let's going. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, and of course... I made my own subtitle for each oh movie. Oh, God. I was going to ask you, how are you formatting these? But I didn't want to ruin the surprise of hearing <laughs> like three verses. What gimmick can he come up with yeah. for this one? He's going to rap run DMC style for each one. <laughs> Look, when your cat's in the hospital, you got to make puns. You got to. <laughs> the only way to cope is by making subtitles to documentaries that don't need subtitles. <laughs> Maybe already have subtitles. They might, yeah. <laughs> but I made double the, the, sub-subtitles. The, the titles might already be a pun, and you have to undo the pun as the work. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start out. Okay, uh, so hit me with one. The first one I'm going to start with, with, with is Dogtown Dog and Z-Boys. All right. A.K.A. Rocket Power Deanimated. <laughs> <laughs> Rocket Power starring dirtbags. Um I yeah, Rocket Power. I love Dogtown of the Z Boys. I saw it when it first premiered me, Mikey, and my younger brother Nick took the bus out to Pasadena to that theater that's next of Romans to watch it. And we've we, seen haven't we seen a movie at that? Maybe not. Yeah, I think we <laughs> might have a million years ago. Um <laughs> I was there. Oh, and you were there. And you were there. Um, but I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, this one, because I had never seen it. And you you bring this up to me maybe once a month, Dogtown and Z-Boys. You know, yeah. Man, do I wish that I man. could shred like I used to. <laughs> and I tell you, Greg, you've never shredded you've anything. You've never shredded. Never even, not even your tax documents. You shred like a butter knife. You shred like a spoon. Sting like a butterfly, shred like a butter knife. <laughs> That's Greg's motto. This one released in 2001. I got the DVD from the library. Cool. That's how I watched it. Yeah. Directed by Stacy Peralta, one of said Z-Boys. Mm-hmm. And he went on to create Bowen's Brigade, which is a documentary. The, the sixth one that I never got around to watching, which I really want to because I love Pal Peralta and Bowen's Brigade. He, there will be another thing right after this one that Stacy Peralta was involved with also. Oh, but really? This one's narrated by Sean Penn, who looks like one of the Z-Boys. He but does not one of these. And one of my favorite narrating things ever, he coughs. He screws up. Yeah, he, he screws coughs up. and they just let it roll. And yeah. I love that. I think it's so cool. <laughs> and I, I I can't tell you why I think that's cool. Yeah, other they than, me as the editor, I think. Yeah, I think. No, it, 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 it breaks the omnipotence of the narrator. He's just a guy. That's like these Z-boys. Yeah, he's just one He's one of the boys. Um, <laughs> Watching it as a younger man, what, 2001? God, I was a yeah, baby. Yeah, like 60. I was like 60 years old. All the young boys tend to identify with Jay Adams. Uh, uh, okay, remind who which one was he? That's the one that went to jail okay, and they right. talked to him in jail. Now as an older person, I'm like, dude, Peggy Oki is the star of the show. She's the great. one girl. The one the, girl on the team, yeah. yeah. And she's an environmentalist I follow on Instagram now and she still surfs and she's great. Yeah, th- this, okay, so I, I've got a bunch of notes of things. That, uh, I have notes on yeah. this documentary. I think they should uh, special edition this thing. <laughs> Could we extend how much air he got on that, Ollie? <laughs> Just to tell you what it is, it gives you a kind of step-by-step telling of the story of the Zephyr skateboarding team that came out of Dogtown, a.k.a. the Venice South Santa Monica-ish area, mm-hmm. as they called it. Yeah. Do, do people really call it that, or was it just them? Like, I, I, I feel like it was just that era. Or, or like just those kids were called Oh, you know, that. I don't know. Because like, who, who, I've never, never, heard, I've never heard of anyone. Because at the end, like after their post-credit sequences, yeah. uh, Mace Windu comes in <laughs> and is like, uh, this is why they call it Dogtown, because yeah. it, he was like, it was hot, like the dog days of summer, right? And yep, Dogtown. 
And that was like the explanation. So I think it was just them that was calling Maybe. this. This was in the early to mid 70s when they not only defined but invented modern skateboarding as we know it from Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. <laughs> um, the director directed another thing that I'm going to be talking okay. about. The director was one of the Z-Boys. Yeah. He directed, I, I want to be cryptic, but it'll make sense soon, but he was directing something about an era, a similar, the same time, but a little bit more inland, kind of parallel, Okay, perpendicular, parallel to where they were. Okay. A very bad area. You could probably guess what I'm talking about uh, at the time, right? And and now, but at the time of this doc of the events of this documentary, the Dogtown area was also a very crummy place yeah. to live. And the the segment on um covering the history of Venice, they do it very briefly. But I remember yes. being really struck by that, and like my interest in alley history, some of it is rooted in like just some of the footage of the piers broken yeah, down, how um, they would they would surf through. I'm going to get to that, but yeah. like that is some, yeah, that that was really one really great thing they did of not only showing, because we've talked about in yeah. our peer episode of like, these were the glory days and then it collapsed, yeah. uh, quite literally collapsed. Yeah. <laughs> but then this fills in those blanks of like, well, what did happen afterwards? Yeah. Like you literally see them surfing through the ruins of the, it's, of the, uh, so Lake Pier cool. or whatever. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool that they almost cracked their skulls open. Not them, not my skulls. It's their, their little dirtbag skulls. <laughs> the kids in this, like their situation, I'll, I'll reveal a little more hint of what I'm going to be talking about. Not quite as bad as what, sure. what the people in South Central are going through. Most of these kids in this were white, although there, there's Peggy O and a few. Yeah. Oh, there's some Jeff diversity. Too, isn't it? But yeah. it's still interesting that just west of what was going on in South Central, these also disenfranchised kids, they were poor. They didn't have many chance, much opportunities, but they were channeling their frustration into something more tangible and less violent than was going on in South Central yeah. because they had access to public resources like the ocean. Like the people in South Central yeah. did not have that. These kids could go release what they were feeling yeah. in a way which was surfing. Yeah. And they like they even like to keep drawing the parallels. I keep using the word parallel. Let's keep drawing the perpendiculars. I, can't, I can two. never perpendicular park when people are watching. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> they even had their own uniforms like a gang. Yeah. Like they all kind of dressed they the same. They refer to themselves as a gang too. They're, I say less violent than, than they were, but they still do describe some kind of disturbing violence against outsiders trying to like, they were like throwing like boulders at them. Like people who tried to horn in on their waves or concrete because yeah. they they pretty much were a gang. Like yeah, they, they were a gang. They were a gang. Yeah, I that believe did that. skateboarding and surfing instead of drive-bys. Yeah, <laughs> they drove by a shark. <laughs> no, I was not going to even add anything important other than like, yeah, you're right. It sounds really cool. You're right. <laughs> yeah, that matching is, outfits. Yeah, it is cool to throw boulders at people <laughs> yeah. who just want to go to the beach. Yeah, that's there's cool. plenty of other beaches. Go to Santa Monica. Um, <laughs> get back to all the other beaches you're not welcome to. <laughs> So one thing that this documentary did very well was that it very clearly shows the progression from the surfing mm -hmm. to skateboarding when the waves weren't there. Yeah. Like they would say like when the surf was not good, we would go onto the concrete and they would skate like they would surf, mm -hmm. which On is how they created a weird and unique style. Like they rode the topography of the concrete yes. as if they were waves and how all this led to the skate videos that we watch as a kid. Like yeah. how it all and they also do a really good job of explaining what skateboarding was before they started, how it was very gimmicky. It was like a hula hoop. Yeah, it, it was. I, it was silly. I think they they compared it directly to a, a, a hula. I just want a skateboard. <laughs> a lot of documentaries, I feel like don't do the work or don't do a good job of saying like we really did push something a stupid little gimmicky thing and we right. push it to become like a yeah. like a bigger cultural thing i yo-yoed harder than anybody <laughs> 
in history had yo-yo. Man, nobody yo-yoed like him. It was yo-yoing before and yo-yoing like him. And we were like bikers. Like we were like crazy. Some people yo-yoed to the moon. I literally yo-yoed <laughs> to the moon. I broke through the atmosphere. Uh, yo-yo mama. Yeah, go ahead. One thing I, that they are kind of able to do all this of showing this was that they had they were filming like everything, everything. they did. Yeah. So they pretty much have footage of everything they were able to describe. Yeah. They had like they could pinpoint because they had filmed it all like, oh, it happened on this day on this block. Yeah. They did a good job. I don't know why they were doing this, but like they did a really good job of, of documenting yeah. everything that they did. So you can trace every small step, like how you wonder like when was the first time people used fire? Like, yeah. They have footage of like, oh, this this is the first time someone went vertical, vertical. on a skateboard. Yeah, they have like, Tony, here's the, footage of it. Yeah, they have a photo of Tony Alva getting air for the first time out of a pool and then coming yes, back down. It's crazy. And like that's oh, that's they have a photo of it. Like the very first time someone popped it, up. It was like watching the evolution of having two ha- like apes walking with four yeah. hands to like they had two <laughs> hands on the ground and then all of a sudden like they're they're flying their wheels aren't even touching the ground. Like you can see the evolution of skateboarding happening in this documentary. I hold it up with American Graffiti and on any Sunday as one of the best like they caught summer so well in it in this documentary makes me feel like summer yeah, yeah it does and it it makes me worried that people are going to steal my pool from <laughs> me, drain my pool and, those kids are going to drain the pool yeah, those, and skateboard in it we got to erect a fence the z boys might come into our backyard tonight <laughs> install a ring camera the z boys are coming <laughs> a bunch of 13 year old well pri- a privileged white boys are going to come in here <laughs> they weren't privileged they were only privileged cuz they were white <laughs> it also shows how uniquely la this was cuz they explain like how the hilly landscape and the channeling, like the channeling of the rivers and stuff and the architecture of the city itself is what made mm-hmm. their skating style possible, which led to, yeah. because there were hills and, and these things, that's how they were able to to create these tricks and things. Yeah. And how a bad drought in the 70s led to a bunch of people having empty pools to save water. And that led to them breaking into them, like we said, and inventing how to skate that way, Yeah, which seems like, oh, there was a time where people didn't, go and like there were no half pipes yeah like what did people do on skateboards it, it, is, half pipes? it is really th- weird thinking oh they invented half pipes because like they were tired of they, they didn't no one could build a pool just to do this they didn't want to keep getting chased away that by the police yeah and they compared jeff ho who's the guy who ran the zephyr surf shop to howard hughes in that he designed a surfboard then go out and test the surfboard yeah. and refine it and that led to and also how his designs of the surfboards and then later the skateboards i guess or, yeah they were influenced by lowrider culture, mm-hmm. like the the colors and the and the imagery on vibrancy. Them. Yeah, there's a lot of good music in yeah, the documentary as well. Yeah. and we talked about this, but there are times in the documentary where I am reminded, like these are babies. Yeah, like these, they literally were like some of them were like 11. eleven. Yeah, they were like eleven to like fourteen. I think they looked so young, and they're like, and this guy right here invented all these, and, <laughs> and, and he's like in diapers. <laughs> His name is Ollie. (laughs) You were talking about music. There's footage of them going to the Del Mar skating competition. And like everyone else, it it was like, uh, I think they compared in there. Like it was like a hockey team rolling up on figure skaters. Like they were just like a, like really raggy. We've talked about, it it made me like not, not to lump us in with the Z boys. We're kind of like the, maybe somewhere like a meet an M boy. (laughs) M for mediocre. But when we used to do stand up comedy, yeah, and we would sometimes be at something, some show or whatever. Yeah. And there were people who 
were on whatever that like, oh, they came from a comedy class or like, oh, they only perform at this place. Yeah. And you and I were going to like two in the morning every night to like these awful, awful mm-hmm. bars awful. and terrible things where it was so rough and awful. Yeah. And these other places, like we felt like outdoor dogs compared yeah. to the indoor dogs <laughs> that these other that. people were. Yeah. And it, that that's kind of what this felt like yeah. of, of these like, I shall now produce a yeah. 360. <laughs> Perfectly, by the way. There's a great footage from the Del Mar thing of like, I think they're going downhill. One of them falls and the skateboard almost hits Peggy Oki, but she outraces it and it's perfectly shot. Jay Adams doing all the hop up stuff where yeah, he like yeah, jumps yeah, grabbing up, the yeah, grabbing the board and jumping up. <laughs> like it's so dumb, but they're so uh, aggressive and crazy that like that do- outdoor dog energy yes. was really made them stand out. It was, and everybody was like, get these, <laughs> get these Z boys out of here. <laughs> Stacy Peralta. <laughs> that was another thing. Like this could be so dorky, yeah. but like it kind of isn't like these. If I met any of these people in real life, I'd be like, oh, these are dorks. Like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, these yeah, are yeah. guys who can't let go of the past. They're yeah. still skateboarding. Cool. They, it, but like, yeah, they, it, it, they, it wasn't like it, it toes the line. Yeah, it toes the line. And especially if you, I, I think we both grew up on skateboard videos of mm-hmm. like the late nineties where like, it's insane what people were doing. And then you watch this documentary of like, they're just kind of like pretending yeah. stuff is waves and yes. waving and not falling. It doesn't get as extreme. Like yeah. I think they showed towards the end, like yeah. Tony Hawk doing a 900 or whatever. And they're like, this is what it, is like, what if it wasn't for us, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have learned all that uh, Bad Finger song from Tony Hawk Pro Skater that you like so it's much a really still. Good song. It is a really good song. <laughs> that Dead Kennedy song really changed me. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's a great documentary. It, finger, it's got a lot bad of- Bad Finger or Goldfinger? Goldfinger. Bad Goldfinger. Finger is the- Is it Austin Powers or- is it gold member? <laughs> well, we were we were making fun of it because it, it's one of the it's guilty of having the like it's almost two hours of talking heads of being like man no, nobody was doing what we were doing man we were so out there and nobody nobody even they, they didn't know we were so crazy for what we were doing if they couldn't back it up it would be dorky yes. but you know what they were right they were kind of right well you want to get to the next one let's get sure. to your first documentary related to that in a in a very silly way I watched it's a documentary but it felt more like a DVD extra. <laughs> called Accidental Icon, The Story of Gidget, which is Catherine, Co- Catherine Cohn's story of being like a, a, you know, a small, precocious surfer who hung out with a bunch of boys and her dad turned it into a screenplay and it became the Gidget movie. And then like it became the Gidget series. He wrote a book. The book became, a, he also, I think, wrote the screenplay for the movie starring Sandra D. became the TV show starring Sally Field. Right. I was going to say, is are we going to follow the line between Gidget and the Flying Nun in this discussion? <laughs> I, I need to watch The Flying Nun because everyone acts like it's superior and I don't think anything's superior it's to Gidget. It's superior. Mo- thank you. Uh, that's very <laughs> that's funny. what they meant. I said, I, we're such a great alley-oop team. I set you up so <laughs> <We're>, unknowingly <laughs> setting you up. We're something of the podcasting Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> not taken seriously by legitimate basketball players. I mean podcasters. Oh, did I misspeak? Um, <laughs> it's funny though, but Jeff Ho and Alan Sarlo who are both on the Z-Boys are in the Gidget documentary. Oh, really? Yeah. That's weird. Because like it really, it it's part that... The Beach Boys and Beach Party movies all happen around mm-hmm. kind of the Beach same. Blanket Bingo or Beach whatever. Blanket Bingo, Annette, and uh, what's the guy's name? Elvis. Elvis, yeah. <laughs> they all happen around the same, like late 60s or, or late 50s, early 60s. But Gidget is part of that. Gidget gets young girls to like, I could be a girl who surfs too. And it, like there were girl surfers before that, but I think it really popularized the idea of like, oh, this isn't just for boys. I've never seen Gidget, the movie or the series. There are a lot or of Or the woman. <laughs> it's very, it's, I like it. It's very Southern California, very summery. And it, it, you know, it's just a young girl who's like. Where did you watch this? 
Uh, when did it come out? There's a lot of... <laughs> who's directing it? Who's the narrator? Yeah, who's the narrator? Is Sean Penn narrating this? Uh, who edited this as well? I rented the Gidget series from the library. I watched maybe three-fourths of it. There's only one season. I think I saw some of the Gidgets on Tubi and another one on... But where'd you watch this documentary? Oh, a DVD. I rented a DVD mm. from uh-huh. Vidiots, who has a very great uh, sports documentary when series. did it come out 2010 the real gidget story but i didn't i mean i kind of had an idea that they've been redoing gidget until like maybe the 2000s they were like still putting out gidget gets married gidget <laughs> goes to college i like i mean Catherine cohen seems like somebody who's really gidget buys a zoom <laughs> <laughs> gidget goes to the moon um they're really dumb 60s movies and it's it's like really silly that she would like write in her diary all the things that are happening all the, the crushes on boys and her mm. she'd show her diary to her dad oh. knowing that her dad would like can you turn this into a story? Because Catherine Cohen was like, "This is something is happening here." You got your what? Yeah. <laughs> what was popped? Um, there's a place in Malibu called Surfrider Beach where most of this just kind of takes place. In she's like an affluent girl, so it's not like a rags to riches story or anything. Right. She was just like it's a riches to more riches, story. basically uh, riches to embarrassment of riches story. But it's one of my favorite stories of like a teeny little girl who wants to hang out with like athletic boys, and they take her in as a little sister, and they're like, "Well, whatever. If you're gonna hang with us, you got to act like the boys." And she she <laughs> you does start peeing standing up. <laughs> you got to start. Peeing in the ocean like a boy but they they talk about her surfing i think they filmed some of it at leo carrillo beach the mm. show or the movie maybe the movie and they went to zuma too and i think like uh i think some of the footage was filmed in zuma for the movie and it's great I, I, it's it's a dvd extra so what what does it talk about exactly it talks it, about this gidget story like Catherine cohen okay. being a young girl and you know the, the real story and how it translates to the movies and the series and how it became cheap, you know, pop culture icon. I'm sure you've, I, you know who Gidget is, even if you've never watched any uh, of this stuff. Yeah. I, I guess I didn't really know that it was a real person. I thought it was just a movie. Oh, it's based on a real girl who okay. is just, her name's Catherine Cole. They call her Gidget because she's a girl midget was because she was a, very young and small. Uh, that sounds offensive. Hanging, it's very offensive. Yeah, it's, a, it's a little upsetting to know the uh, roots of, of that. It's name. such a cute phrase. And then here yeah. broken up like, Oh, that's not great. Um, yeah. They shouldn't have called it's her like that. what they call Tootsie rolls. That's right. Like, oh, this is uh, still, uh, no, it, it's not that we're still calling this. We just never changed it. <laughs> it's just all the football teams that you're not. It feels weird saying right. out loud. Like the Falcons. Oh boy. <laughs> Who played in the Super Bowl? I don't know. But it does a really good job, the documentary, if you want to call it that, does a good job of telling, like, okay, there's a real girl. The real girl influenced the fictional girl. The fictional girl was part of this like sort of four-piece thing that became Southern California surf culture that influenced everything else. So a lot of like when we think of surfing and Los Angeles, Gidget's a big part of that. Yeah, that's what they kind of talked about a little bit in Do- in Dogtown and Z Boys, available at the library, <laughs> uh, produced by the uh, library production. Yeah, they pointed out like you know surfing didn't start in Los Angeles, sure, but it seem it always feels like Los Angeles sort of uh, like L.A. surfing culture sort of took over. Yeah all surfing culture it feels yeah like. in the city you know with like the beach boys and all that sort of thing and gidget, gidget. i guess it's a real person and jan and dean and jen dan or dan and gene whichever one but they you know that criminal who helped kidnap john, <laughs> not john f kennedy jr uh frank sinatra kennedy jr excuse me robert kennedy jr <laughs> I wish. Yeah. <laughs> I wish someone kidnapped him and at least until the election's over. But but just like they sort of the influence the pop culture influence of Southern California surfing co- sort of eclipsed where surfing originally came yes. from, which I guess is Hawaii. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know because the Beach Boys invented surfing to me. If I have the credit one one element of pop culture with surfing, it's probably the Beach Boys. Yeah, it it, it which like did they even surf? Dennis I, surfed. I, oh. 
Oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. And like, one of them represents I didn't all want of them. stolen valor from the Beach Boys. <laughs> but like, I, I like we see them holding surfboards all the time. And yeah. I'm like, do you know what you're holding? Do you know what you're doing right now? Do you know what that means? Brian was afraid of the water. Was he really? Yeah. Every day I get, I find him more and more relatable when he lives in a sandbox, when he has dementia. I just relate to him so much more every day when he won't stand up from his piano in a performance. I just relate so much to that. Yeah. But I guess between that and the Z boys and uh, the beach boys, beach boys, two boys and a girl, yeah. it, it just feels like LA has had such an influence on surfing. I mean, it, it, I feel like it's part of car culture and surf culture are kind of cousins of each other because you could put a surfboard on a car, a car and that's imagery that people really love is like, like a, the beach boys like the beach dude. boys would it's all like one big monster with many arms uh like southern california <laughs> like dennis wilson and i feel like weirdly mall culture is part of surf culture because of valley girls the going to the beach yeah, and the yeah. boyfriends who surf and there's low riders yeah. and car culture yeah, yeah, yeah. and hot rods. Like it's all one big Southern California monster that I love. I love that monster, <laughs> but it's a monster that is kind of not always accurate. They, they all kind of enabled each other. Yeah. And like the, the, the overlap is if not always a huge between low riders and the, um, and Gidget. Yeah. Like, I'm sure she would fit in at a lowrider convention, as I call them. Sure, yeah. I mean, I fit in that one time when I drove through one, and everyone's like, oh, nice. Cool. Nice. Prius. Did um, you, oh, is the bottom of your car, it's not a Prius, it's a Honda Civic Hybrid. Thank is you. Is the bottom she, splash shield under your car dragging on the pavement? Nice. Oh, custom splash shield. Cool. <laughs> Real low. Um, <laughs> Can't get any lower than dragging across the pavement. Creating sparks on the road. <laughs> You want to get to the next one? Yeah. Or do you have more to say? No. Um, Good. Shut up. Gidget show is great. Sally Field's wonderful. She comes out in a documentary and it seems like she's crying talking about Gidget. Go ahead. <laughs> it's because Burt Reynolds is uh, twisting her arm behind her in the interview. Yeah. So my next one is Crips and Bloods oh. made in America, a.k.a. the boys in the hood are always scarred. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so this one uh, released 2008, directed by Stacey Peralta you, of Stacey the Z-Boys. Yeah. Narrated by Forrest Whitaker. Oh, wow. And uh, so I got it from, uh, I had a DVD from the library. This was recommended to me by Carl Tart. Oh, good. He had, when we were doing the gang episode, he was like, you got to watch Crips and Blood made in America. I was like, you know what, Carl Tart? I'm sick of taking orders from you. <laughs> I don't need to listen to anybody. Yeah. I don't need to do any sort of research, okay? <laughs> I know Crips and Bloods. Yeah, I feel it in my gut. I'm going to say whatever I want, and it's going to be real yeah. after that. And that feeling in my gut is when I got shot in the gut. <laughs> that feeling in my gut is all the foam I ate. <laughs> so it's about the Crips and the Bloods gangs in Los Angeles, but only kind of, which I will get into. Have you seen this one? I Some feel like a long time ago I've seen it. Uh, well, so it starts with an opening shot that works really well to set the place and contrast between other parts of LA and South Central. Yeah. It's, I, I think, uh, if I, maybe I'm imagining part of this, but I think it's, no, this is, I think it's an upside down shot of downtown Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And that I don't even know how they did this in 2008, but like maybe Stan Winston had something to do with this. But like, so it then it like pulls out and sort of slowly flips as the camera takes you away from downtown Los Angeles and everything you kind of know about Los Angeles yeah. to South Central wow. and shows like, you know, what it looks like there. 
And then it's followed by a bunch of horrific images of gang violence. <laughs> uh, I was worried this was just going to trace the history of the Crips and Bloods, yeah. which I didn't want to see because I did the research on it. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they did I know this. everything. I know everything. I read that article from Vice or whatever. I'm infallible. I don't need any flaws pointed yeah. out in my logic. <laughs> so if that's what you're looking for in this documentary, you're not going to get that, right. which I was really happy about. Like Melissa was kind of disappointed because she wanted to. Yeah. She doesn't listen to she, doesn't, she mutes my parts in the episode, as she does in life. She's such a big Greg fan. <laughs> she loves, she loves to hear what mistakes he's going to say this time. <laughs> she only listens to the unedited versions <laughs> of how I make Cleo. Raw footage. So it briefly talks about that a little bit, about like the very first gangs in, in South Central. But three of the main talking heads are three of the founders of the Slauson gang. Okay. Which seems borderline wholesome compared to what you've just seen in the opening. Yeah. Like the images of just like, dead people yeah. like people like gang violence like hard gang violence and hearing like yeah we went and we'd flex our pecs at the you know, like, <laughs> i challenge you to a fight so there's a lot of good old pictures from those days in south central went before gangs became really scary did it have animated cutaway shots or like drawn um because i remember maybe no, I'm i don't okay think maybe so. i'm thinking of another one something i watched did have that and i was yeah. getting a and, and then they were baking they were baking donuts right from cambodia but no it it I don't think so, but they had a lot of shots of like, you know, 60s, like post Watts, I guess pre Watts and post Watts, but like just like when a gang was like these guys dressed up and rode around in nice cars. Yeah. Like okay. that, like a lot of footage of that, which, like I was saying, seems like, oh, those were the days. It really when- <laughs> does seem nice. Yeah. But what the documentary focuses on, which was a surprise to me, was not the how, but the why of these gangs. So it traces the roots all the way to the beginning of the first black people coming to L.A., Mm -hmm. to the glories of the Dunbar Hotel and Central Avenue, to the closing of all the car factories that people were working in that led to the economic downslide, into the Parker era LAPD with a lot of footage of police brutality harassing the community and the restrictive housing covenants, which was all a precursor to the Watts uprising, which they also have footage of. Wow. So it pretty it explains very succinctly what the emotional history was leading up to Watts, and then you get to hear interviews with the people who were a part of it, including these Slauson guys, these three Slauson, the, the three-headed Slauson monster. <laughs> then from there, you follow the through line to how nothing changed after Watts, yeah. which led to the formation of the Crips and then the formation of the Bloods because of the Crips. And these guys who lived through both explaining just how truly scary and tragic that was, because compared to these guys who had to face all the same problems, Mm -hmm. they at least had the strong black figureheads of the 50s and 60s. But by the time the Crips and the Blood started, all those men were dead or in prison. So they, the younger generation formed without having role models to look up to. And that led to just like disregard for human life like just kill like Mm -hmm. just a a scary mindset that these kids were raised with yeah but when the movie really took off for me though is when they shifted focus to interviews with current and former crips and bloods and that is really something to watch like this is when it gets to how into how people actually living the life actually feel about it and what they're going through emotionally which you wouldn't think you'd get in an interview with these hard gangsters, but like the people they talked to were like more open with their feelings than we've ever been. (laughs) (laughs) Even when they weren't like, you can hear in their voices and the words that they use that all of them are yearning to just be accepted. Like they, all they want to be loved or if not that they just, just to not have people be mean to them. Like that's, 
you can you can feel it like that's all they want. Like they don't want to have to kill. They don't want to have to steal, but like they're not given options. And you can hear it. You can feel it coming off of yeah, them. Yeah, you can hang with us and we'll, we'll take care of you. You'll be our friend, but like something's going to come up and you're going to need to take care of it. And exactly. Like, and that sounds sometimes like, well, that's, I don't know what that, it's kind of vague. And then it, you it fully realize what that means. And you're like, oh, well, I have to kill a guy now. It, it, some of the people were like trying to, like, you know, I guess justifies the word of like, I'm, I am a moral person. Yeah. I don't think it's right to kill people, but I have to turn off that part of my brain sometimes because it's kill or be killed. Yeah. And yeah, you hear like, you know, I wanted to join this group. They wouldn't let me. And I found a, like I, my dad wasn't around people in the neighborhood didn't like me. Like, and then I found a group who was like, you can hang out with yeah. us. It doesn't have to be that way, but in the end it's kind of not even about Crips and Bloods. It's just about the people in the situation. And it also goes into the 92 stuff and the state of prisons in the United States. It is a little disjointed at times, and it kind of jumps around uh, with that Stacy Peralta style. The star, if you can say, of this is Kumasi, who is one of the Slauson founders, who is like seething with rage. <laughs> like you can hear how angry he is yeah. that this is ha- what these people have to go through, and you, he's making great points throughout the whole time. And his rage is just like so right. Like everything he says is right, and it feels so good. You know, not good, but it's like yeah, yes. You are saying, I agree. I agree, Kumasi. <laughs> they even, okay, so they get into the fashion a little bit and they show one of the funniest and most shocking images in this whole thing, which is a pair of pants that have been starched so strongly that it is standing up on its own with oh nobody in there. Because they were talking about like, you got, you had to look good. You had to starch your pants. And they starched a pair of pants so much. Yeah. It was just standing in a kitchen with nobody in it. A pair of pants, pair Greg. Of pants. <laughs> you have to jump into them. That's like a fi- you come down a fire pole. <laughs> yeah, hearing my dad talk about like you can't go out without creasing your pants. Yes. And you're like, what? It's so what? weird that like, yeah, you're gonna have to kill this person today, but make sure you wear a nice crisp white <laughs> shirt when you do it. The fashion being involved with all gangs is so funny. Kind of like, of- yeah, we're uh, you know, nobody messes with us, but at the same time, if you're not wearing uh yeah. if your pants aren't cuffed in just the right way, you are out of the game. Yeah, it yeah, but he's wearing an angel's hat, so we can't trust him. <laughs> it, it's a really like like I said, if uh, you listen to the LA Meekly episode on the Crips and Bloods if you want to hear the history of them. But if you want to hear interviews with actual gang members and former gang members, like it's it's uh devastating. Yeah. Like there there's one sequence where where like a bunch of moms and sisters are holding just pictures of like their sons and nephews <sighs> and cousins that have just been killed at yeah. like 18 or something. And every, but like every single person they talk to wants this to end. Yep. Uh, you know, I think it's gotten better, but like uh, it hasn't like no. it, like we did after the George Floyd stuff. Yeah. Like this just with, with George Floyd, it was no, it was, it was different, but yeah. it was nowhere. And it was also, it was definitely nowhere near as violent as 92 and sure. 65 or whatever it was. But like every thirty years, like they're they, like this keeps flaring up, yeah, and like nothing keep, nothing is changing. No, like promises are made and nothing changes, and these people people are sick of it. It's almost like a every like what twenty something year, twenty eight years. There's like a moment of clarity, yes. but there's nothing you could do about it. We just right. like see it. Yeah. And we all see it at the same time. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. Let's oh, th- blur this up a little bit. <laughs> and then it just goes back to like, eh, it probably got better. I'm not going to yeah. check in on it. It probably, it probably got better. And then maybe if we hire more cops, it'll go away. <laughs> Let's just give them more money for training. 
You know, if we make RFK Jr. president of this country, first off, his uncle will come back to life and be his vice president. He's going to come back to life at the place where he was shot. Yeah. Well, where else is he? Go? That's where he left and now yeah. he'll come back. That's how there. ghosts work. Also, Abraham Lincoln's coming back. Um, Garfield, but, too. Yeah, but not the president. Not the president. Yeah. And his, his running mate, Nermal. But um, yeah, it the first female cat president. <laughs> Actually, Nermal's a boy, but mm. um, he's really pretty. Mm. But uh, yeah, it, it's a good documentary if you want to, if if you're, it's heavy. It, it's not, oh, except for oh, that shot Crips of the pants. Oh, Crips versus pan. Bloods, is it, it's not light? But when that shot of the pants hits, Greg, <laughs> it makes it, it all, all work. This it was, is why we fight. Oh, this is the punchline. Yeah, so so that's the Crips. What, what, what's your next documentary? If we're going to talk about you know, crime and the seedy underbelly of Los Angeles. I'm going to move on to talk about the one documentary I had seen before, Feast of Death, The oh Dark God. Places of James Elroy, which is a documentary about James Elroy starring okay. J- James Elroy. Um, when did this come out? 2001, directed by Vikram Jayanti. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. I had <laughs> listened to, I had gone through like a kick of um, audiobooks last year, which is like uh, fantastic. But I, I finally got around to listening to My Dark Places, which is his like autobiography. And it's sort of, we've, his life and his mom and his both his parents' life, but like his mother's death and his mother's murder, mm-hmm. and then talking about like how it affected him through the years and stuff. Uh, traumatic boy, <laughs> not great. And you know, he's a, br- a great writer, but brutally honest. Um, <laughs> is he still alive? He's still, he's still alive, alive right? yeah. He's still alive. The documentary is great if you're interested in James Alroy. One of the best explanations of probably what who and what happened to well, more who killed Elizabeth Short comes from there. The, him and a bunch of cops are sitting around a restaurant, I think it's the Pacific dining car and uh alley times reporter named larry harnish goes over his theory of who killed elizabeth short is yeah, very interested in that mm. kind of stuff but uh, why so this is the documentary focuses on that a it little focuses bit? it's like post my dark places and it's him promoting the book but he also hangs out with a detective a who ha- puff piece <laughs> kind of um <laughs> look kumasi was not promoting the slosson game <laughs> in my documentary this is not an initiation use promo code Yo mama for 50% off your initiation beating. Um, shut up. Um, 50% less blood out or blood in. Yeah. Blood in, blood, blood out, in. Blood, blood in. coming out of you. Yeah. Blood for in, you to blood, blood out, in. blood in. Are you blooding in or out today? Just promoting the book, talking about his mother's death because he's promoting the book. So hanging out with a detective who tried to help him solve his mother's death which was basically the writing of the book. The writing of the book basically is he shows all his information to a detective and they're going to try to figure out who killed his mother, which they never, no, no, spoiler, they never do. But they go to the place in, was it Montebello? Or not Montebello, it was... Um, Portobello? Portobello, Mushroom Town. Where they found <laughs> his mom. Yeah, Mushroom City, where they found his mother's body near Rosemead. I forget what area that is. But they go to the, they like, basically walks up to the bushes. We're like, yeah, oh, they dumped God. my mom's body right here. Oh my God. And have you heard him read before his own work? <laughs> I didn't know he could. I thought he was just like a pit bull or something. <laughs> he, he learned to write, but not, not read. read out loud. Uh, he has a very stilted, strange way of reading mm-hmm. his own work, which is, I'm so glad he didn't read his audiobook. It's so <laughs> distracting. <laughs> Why are you like this? He's like, uh, it's Bob what Dylan, I mentioned. Yeah, Bob Dylan Bob narrating Dylan. an audiobook. It's very uh, a beatnik house, beatnik coffee house, <laughs> but it's great. And, you know, they, they, they talk about Richard Ramirez a little bit. It's very L.A. crime. They drive up to the spot where they, you know, the residents now in Lamert Park where they left Elizabeth Short and they talk about Elizabeth Short a lot. So what what is the focus of this? It's just kind of like crime in LA? Not really. You're just following James Alroy and a cop around and they'll talk about like some of the, you know, just he, cr- crime. <laughs> I mean, I guess suppose crime, but crimes that he's sort of covered committed. before. Yeah. Crimes that he's committed. 
you know, because he wrote the Black Dahlia, which is like a fictionalized version of maybe what happened in yeah, Crime Against Literature, <laughs> if you ask me. Oh, boy. Uh, it, you know, and James Alroy is one of the, you know, our best living crime right. writers, maybe like top dog crime writer currently. Our generation's James, not James Elroy, Raymond Chandler. <laughs> yeah, yes. I've been awake a lot. I've been, I've been awake, I've been a, awake lot a lot. I've been awake a lot, and it's not great. It's not my favorite thing to do is being awake a lot. And he comes from L.A. He comes, you know, he grew up in uh, part, part Beverly Hills and part wherever he moved to with his oh, mom. That I yeah, but it's it's a very good documentary if you like James Elroy. Uh, and if you're interested in LA crime, have you read James Elroy? A lot of his stuff, any of his, I, I don't think I've read any of his stuff, to be honest. I've read the big, I'll say it. I've read the big nowhere. Read. I've read a lot of his short stories and I've finished my dark places. I've always been interested in his quartet, which is what a uh, big nowhere, summer, spring, yeah. winter, uh, autumn, big nowhere, LA confidential block Dahlia. And I feel like white jazz is maybe the fourth one, but I don't know for sure. But it's great. Uh, and I like James Alroy a lot. I think he's a great writer. He, he uh, wanted to sleep with his mom a lot. And my documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Which they, I don't think they cover that in, in the documentary, but hearing My Dark Places. Uh, <laughs> boy, did you have a lot of complicated feelings about this woman who was murdered. Pre or post death. Uh, b- believe me when I say both. All. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's got, he, he just has so much LA history in his bones. And he was so influenced by a book that Jack Webb of, dragnet wrote about like la crime and stuff so mm. like really like it's seeped in him like la history la yeah. crime is just so much a part of him that when he he spews anything out all his books are basically like here's a real thing and here's my fictionalized account of how it happened he marries the two together like he wanted to do to his mom like he wanted to do with his mom uh yeah. did he who wrote bosh who's bosh who's bosh greg but greg i'm who's curious bosh? about who bosh is greg, tell me who bosh is who tell me who agent argyle is okay i only know bosh as a a reference that comedians make about a show and i love <laughs> literally nothing else james Elroy didn't write bosh who's bosh who's bosh greg, greg? who's bosh i hate this line of questioning <laughs> you gotta be bosh yeah. you're not the bosh of me now <laughs> yeah I, because people love bosh like that's another thing you have to stop saying uh, bosh <laughs> You can't stop saying, now that once you say Bosch, you, once yeah. you Bosch, you can't, can't Bosch. That's how it got so popular. <laughs> so Boschular. Boschular, But Because yeah. that's another thing on top of Los Angeles plays, plays itself. I think a lot of people have recommended Bosch to us. That's to us. To us. <laughs> I promise that I'll never watch Bosch. I, I promise you. If you elect I me, won't I will never. Bosch. I won't watch Bosch ever <laughs> if you elect me. <laughs> if you elect me and my vice president, Robert F. Kennedy, Jr., <laughs> I will never watch. You Bosch. won't have to get a vaccine ever again. And we will not wash Bosch. So <laughs> let's yes. get to our next documentary on a lighter note. Uh-huh. I watched the donut. You King. did watch the donut King. Didn't you? AKA Cambodia nuts. <laughs> <laughs> this one is released in 2020. Uh, maybe our most recent one directed by Alice Goo. I watched it on Hulu. Hulu. This follows the story that we did in our donut episode. This is another one where I was like, oh, I know this one already. Yeah. Uh, don't bore me with stories it. I already know. Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> Show me Bosch already. <laughs> Tell me who wrote Bosch. Who wrote Bosch? That's what Bosch season four is trying to... Who wrote me? This is like a, to- this is like a toothache I have to eat here. <laughs> It's a toothache for your ears. Yeah, It's like my ears ate a bunch of foam. <laughs> so this is, uh, we covered like in our donut episode about the story of Ted Noy, who yeah. is the Cambodian immigrant who escaped the Khmer Rouge and mm-hmm. started making donuts in Southern California. 
and is the reason why there are so many donut places that are owned by Cambodian families yes. around Los Angeles. So, like I said, it wasn't anything new to me because uh, I've eaten a donut before. Not to brag. You know, I did all this research, but if you don't want to listen to me fumble all over it, it's a really interesting story. And this time you get to hear it told by Noy, Ted Noy That's himself. That's great. So it's interviews with him. It's interviews with his family and, and like donut owners that he helped. Donut owners. Yeah, I guess so. They own the donuts that he helped uh, come to America it has a lot of good archival footage of old donut shops around LA. Love it. You can see the parts of the story and the people in the story that I talked about. <laughs> like you actually get to see them. Like you see footage of in Cambodia. You see like, oh, this is the house that he um, spent three months living under his girlfriend's bed without her family Jesus knowing. Um, he revisits a lot of these places. There's even some, like I said, with the people who owe their Americanness, like their citizenship, their careers, like being free from the Khmer Rouge, they owe it to this guy. And you hear them like express their gratitude and also, you know, how he took advantage of them later. But <laughs> it gives a little more background on the Cambodian Civil War, life under Pol Pot, and how car culture helped foster donut culture here, not just fosters donuts. A very uh, immigrant pride kind of movie. Cool. Like it makes you feel, feel very good. That stresses how important immigrants are to Los Angeles. Yeah. Especially a good message considering when this came out in 2020. The story meanders at the end when it focuses on one donut shop in Santa Monica for rent for some reason. I was like, why? Like, why you? Like, yeah. why are we talking about you so much? Oh, you funded it. Okay. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, okay. So this is the James Elroy's book of, yeah. <laughs> of this documentary. So like you watching Willy Wonka as a kid, you are going to have to pause this and get donuts while you watch it because there is so many, oh like we were God. eating donuts for like a week afterwards <laughs> because like there are so many, so much footage of donuts that look so good oh in this God. documentary. And it's just a, a celebration of LA's donut culture, which is something we've always pinpointed even before long mm -hmm. before we did a whole episode about it yeah of how donuts are to los angeles as pizza is to new york like there is just so many donut places around here there's so many but when you go looking for we're like well all the donut shops in <laughs> beverly <know>. hills <laughs> whenever you need them most the donut shops aren't around am i right defund the donut shops <laughs> yeah it, it wasn't anything new to me because yes. i did all the research I'm on this so kind. smart i'm really intelligent and i've eaten a lot of donuts <laughs> but yeah like if if you want a recap of that episode yes. if you haven't listened to it you can watch this and if you want to see donuts you can watch it it's it, it's a very interesting story okay Maybe my least favorite of all the documentaries all right. I've watched in this, but um, you hate the one about immigrants. That's good to know. That's really good to know. The most I mean, why do they have one. to be pro immigrants? <laughs> Shoving their their Cambodian agenda <laughs> down my throat with uh, glazed with jelly. Yeah, glazed. Uh, we've said donuts so much in the last two minutes that I'm like, know. Mm, you know, it sounds good right now. There's a bunch of donuts that I don't need. You know, it sounds good right now. A reading of James Elroy. <laughs> um, but yeah, have you seen this one? I forgot to ask have you. you. Have, you, have you heard about have this? Have you seen this? Stop me if you've seen this. No, one. I have not seen The Donut King. It's it's good. Like you lived through it. Uh, yeah. Me telling you this. You lived through Pol Pot's regime. You get it. It's worth a watch if you if you want to get hungry for donuts or if you want a refresher on that story. Yeah. It doesn't do much like how with the Crips and the Bloods thing. It's not just a beat by beat history it gets into the emotion this one doesn't really it is kind of a beat by beat history yeah. of it and you know sometimes that's, that's fine it's that's fine yeah not for me though because i already knew it i'm really smart for really smart people you're not gonna yeah like you're it. not gonna like this uh, uh i bet it's really good i bet i'll love it's it it's good yeah I, you'll really like it but there are so many 
Like, honestly, get donuts before you watch this because you will have to pause it and get donuts. Hmm. But that, yeah, that's the Donut King. Okay. That's, <laughs> it sounds delicious. Thank yeah. you for it's the mo- It is the most delicious of all the documentaries. I, I might stop on the way home just yeah. to get, cause we've said it too much. <laughs> Instead of watching the documentary, I might just eat a bunch of donuts you know, and say that I did. We talked about it so much. I'm probably going to join the Crips after this. <laughs> I'm going to probably be a 13 year old girl surfing in yeah. the 60s. I'm going to surf down to Watts <laughs> and join the Crips. Much like uh, Kurt Russell did in <laughs> Escape from Los Angeles. So what's your next documentary we've got here? My next one is also about a single character who came from Southern California and influenced everything else. This one is Tales of the Rat Fink, the story of Ed Big Daddy Roth. Okay. Who is a car designer uh, yeah. and painter and from Southern California. He's from Bell, which I didn't know because I, I looked on his Wikipedia every once in a while and Says he's from Beverly Hills. I think he was born in Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. But Bever- yeah, Beverly Hills. And raised in Bell, California, where he went to high school and had his shop in like, what's the area called? Portobello. Portobello. Oh my God. Maywood. He had his shop in mm. Maywood. Uh, and it's really famous. Like, it, like yeah, obviously, Rat Fink is uh, loved by all uh, car people throughout the entire world. <laughs> by all people named Greg on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a guy who I've always, when, if we ever do like just an artist's episode. Yeah. Which I don't know if we've done. We have done an artist's we, episode. Oh, we have? And I, if we do another one, this guy should be in it. <laughs> I agree. I absolutely agree. Because this documentary, it, it was done by Ron Mann, who did Comic Book Confidential, another documentary I love. And it's very fun. Like, it's sort of like mm. he'll have a he'll animate like a sort of 2d version of stuff and make sounds for he does like sounds for Radfink, which like oh yeah Radfink has a voice probably i love Radfink. he I sounds up, like james Elroy. yeah he sounds like james Earl jones uh he's very <laughs> eloquent i grew up you know a, a son of a car kid lots of car guys in my family son of a car kid son of a car kid son of a car guy well he has a kid too but like, like Radfink was just always around and watching the documentary and hearing like the creation of Rat Fink was done on a napkin because he hated Mickey Mouse so much. <laughs> when asked what would your version of Mickey Mouse be, he drew Rat Fink. <laughs> and like a lot of like 60s, I kept saying like he's the force Ackerman of cars. Like he just made it fun. He made it right. accessible. Like the whole like giant monster and a little hot rod thing is all him. Yeah. Was spray painting and pinstriping. Documentary covers it, but like they cover Southern California, why hot rodding became famous here because we had a lot of GIs would come back from the war would be like a, you know, now well-versed in how to mechanics and rockets. I know how to fix things and I hate Mickey Mouse. And I hate Mickey Mouse (laughs) and I have PTSD and I want to drive a hundred miles per hour every day. Yeah. Custom, like custom car culture pretty much starts in Southern California. Once everybody comes back from the war and you know, cars are plentiful now there's lots of cars, but they're all boring and we want to soup them up and do some crazy things with them. I want to put rats all over this. (laughs) So far we've covered in this, the create LA's biggest contributions, skateboard, Skateboarding, surfing, surf culture, uh, surf, skateboard, skate culture, surf, surf culture, car culture, gang culture, gang culture, uh, <laughs> and donut culture, and donut culture. Uh, Los Angeles, you know, multi arm monster. But uh, yeah, uh, once fiberglass starts to become a thing, he starts designing and building his own cars, which are super kooky. And the documentary, it's really cool. So Radfink does the voice of Ed Roth, who it's very strange because there's footage of him at a convention, I think in 2000, 2001. And it starts off with John Goodman saying, like, this is six months before I popped the big one. And he died. And you're like, what? He's supposed to be, he's playing Ed Roth, but Ed Roth is dead. So it's a ghost of Ed Roth is narrating this thing. What? But they they have, like, doing the voices of the cars and talking about, like, how the car was created and why it was created. They have, like, artist Robert Williams. They have the Smothers Brothers. They have Brian Wilson doing the surf fight. What? Uh, they have, who is some of the other ones? Uh, Matt Groening does one of the voices of the cars and it's all the people who are like massively influenced or like had something to do with. Wait a minute. So there's, there's talking car. This is this. Did you just watch cars? 
Oh God. Oh no. Was oh, that not God. a documentary? Oh my God. You're you're gonna get so mad at me. <laughs> you're gonna get you know, I feel like I, I'm I've been a real mater this month. I watched the documentary on Lightning McQueen. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm so silly. Um Lightning McQueen's rags to riches story. <laughs> Drags to riches. This car starts out with the uh, Mickey slits the throat of rat fink and drinks his blood and then cars starts. <laughs> not in my town. Not in my town. Because he designed these cars and they they look like Homer's car, by the way. The Homer designs of the car because his oh, brother right, right, Herb right. comes yeah. and he's like, I'm going to let you design the car. And it looks cool. And everyone laughs at it. Big Daddy Roth's cars look like Homer's car. <laughs> but for all the cars he designed, a voice will come out and say like, I came out in 1961 and everyone thought I was real kooky. It's a Ron Mann documentary. So, of course, it's a little bit like that. <laughs> but yeah, he has like Brian Wilson will come out and talk like pretend to be like the surf car, wow. that, like the surf bike, which has no headlights, by the way. <laughs> And it also the, the the documentary claims that all custom T-shirts are thanks to Big Daddy Roth spray painting or airbrushing designs on T-shirts and putting monsters on T-shirts. Okay. All of custom so T-shirts are claim. thanks. Yeah, it's a, they make a lot of bold claims. Like the reason <laughs> that Max are custom colored is because uh, Big, Big Daddy, Daddy Roth, Roth invented the internet, invented the idea <laughs> of customization. It's a tall. It's asking a lot of yeah. the viewer, but it, it like very few people were doing what he was doing on such a mass scale. Like like he would. Radfink became a sort of character he could stamp on stuff. He became a character himself, like big top hat and monocle and stuff. But like it, a lot of custom car culture that is like not only American wide for anybody who's into like rockabilly and cars and hot rods, but like Japan has a huge hot rod scene too. Like I think Germany too also has it. But like Radfink is a sort of thing that just has gotten everywhere car culture is. And there's a lot of things thanks to a guy who was raised in Bell. Huh. Yeah. How, well, then how come I don't drive one of his cars? I mean, you did. Don't you? Uh, the the <laughs> HCH, the, the Honda Civic hy- Hybrid, uh, that's not a custom car? It is. It's customized now that it drags <laughs> and uh, has a crack. Did he design any that have cracked windshields? Yeah, yeah. He That's just the new look. and uh, <laughs> It's an artistic choice on my part. Bjork does the voice of the Honda Civic <laughs> Hybrid. Yeah, it's, I mean, if you like car culture and you like, you're at all interested. In, yeah, for the our airbrush artists, they have a, my God. This is only f- for me and all, all the people on you in sign painting. <laughs> but like, uh, they have like a, I rented it also from uh, oh, yeah. thing. But they have a, a. And I haven't watched this. Thanks for asking. Ooh. A special feature where they show it's just like, it was shot in like the 80, the 88, and they're having like a paint party. And it's like a bunch of old white dudes drinking like Coors Light. <laughs> and Von Dutch is there. Von Dutch, by the way, both these men are racist. But Von Dutch, I think, was a Nazi. Wait a minute. Big Daddy Roth is racist? Yeah. They, I've heard from people that he did not care for Mexican people, which oh, is not boy. great. And they don't put that in the documentary. And they should maybe <laughs> start by saying, hey, he, he grew to be a large racist. John Goodman did not want to have to say those things that he said. They probably cut that. John Goodman volunteered. He did on his free time to that, say that. That that one is a little more um if you're in the know, but like Von Dutch was like a racist. Uh <laughs> noted racist lover of swastikas, I believe. But he invented pinstripe. Like he was pretty much the way we all pinstripe we Jesus. The way <laughs> people pinstripers now. The way we all say those things about Mexican people. Yeah. He, was, he put it on tape. He put it on tape. He's the real Nixon of pinstriping world. <laughs> But they have Von Dutch just with a pinstripe bus, just does a, a horizontal line without wavering at all. And you're like, oh, he has a course line. He's been drinking and he like is barely flinching and drawing without guidelines. And then he took that horizontal line, added one line going down, <laughs> right angle, one gun going up. Yeah. Another, horizontal. another right angle. Perpendicular. <laughs> yeah. No, I haven't. I don't know much about that. I know his imagery. I don't know much about this guy. It, Certainly I mean, didn't know he was racist. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the guy who told me that I also wasn't a big fan of that guy. So who knows how many people are just racist? How many of these sign painters are racist? But yeah, no, if you like car culture at all, or like even month, like it, it blends into like, monster culture and southern california culture and like post-war america like it's all the same 
big cloud. Of yeah. Stuff. One thing that a lot of that these documentaries we've done so far, I guess all documentaries do this, but mm-hmm. like really show how so many different factors coalesce to, yep. to create a very unique Los Angeles thing. Yeah. And even you talking about, you know, while Dogtown was happening, this was happening maybe like four or five right. miles south. <laughs> you know, you wonder how many documentaries should just be like, Everything that happened in 1961, let's yeah. go. Everything in Los Angeles in 1961, <laughs> let's just like, what are all the sit- parts of the city doing? What like, oh, while well, the Beach Boys were happening, the Watts riots were happening. Yeah. Like, it's, it, we it, need Fallout Boy to sing We Didn't Start the Fire for every year. Every year. A that, recap, and, that, and we listen to it with Dick Clark on New Year's <laughs> Eve. Dick Clark, we roll out the bones of yeah, Dick big, Clark. Yeah. <laughs> we all sit The down. bitter old bones of Dick Clark. <laughs> and we all listen to it. <laughs> so we're, we're halfway through. Yeah. We have a little ad to read in the middle of this. So we're going to take a little bit of break. A little bit of break. A little break. We're going to break. We'll see you soon. Bye. Beep, beep. I'm going to eat some foam. Greg, stop eating foam for a second. No. <laughs> Take me to the hospital. Please. Stay up all night and take me to the hospital. If you love me, you would. Well, if you if you uh, are all done eating foam or if you're up all night, we've got something that you should read. What? We've got a little ad for you for something. If you're looking for something good to read, we have got it for you. Youth Group is a new graphic novel from Jordan Morris and Bowen McCurdy. This YA horror comedy follows a goofy teen Bible study group who has to slay demons and perform exorcisms when they're done learning about abstinence and how you don't need drugs to have a good time. That sounds incredible. For fans of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Shaun of the Dead, the book is available for pre-order now. It's not out yet, but for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local indie bookstore, Jordan also will sign and personalize all orders done via book soup in west hollywood so that is youth group a graphic novel by jordan morris and bowen mccurdy that we wanted to help promote so i worked with jordan Mm -hmm. when i during my brief but unforgettable tenure (laughs) as the producer on his long-running podcast jordan jesse go with jesse thorne as well so jordan jesse go they're one of the first podcasts ever and you might also know jordan for his work on good mythical morning where Mm -hmm. he plays cotton candy randy among other things so you probably know who jordan is he is one of the funniest people i've ever met and he's written archie horror comics as well for the official archie company which are really good so i know that this also he's written other thing other graphic novels and he writes for tv as well he's he's a very good writer writer so you should go buy this youth group by jordan morris and bone mccurdy you can pre-order it now i'm gonna um, don't you don't. everybody put down the foam <laughs> get the foam out of your mouth yeah go to book soup pre-order youth group by jordan morris and bone mccurdy and now put that foam back in your mouth <laughs> because here comes a little more la meekly Oh boy, we're back. What a break. What a pee. What a pee. What a what what a pee. What a pee. What a pee. What a mighty What a mighty long pee. What a mighty wet pee. <laughs> um we ate some wet peas. We, yeah. we, we didn't we didn't we, we can't go. So no. we just ate a bunch of wet peas just so we could sing that song. Yeah. We didn't want to I don't want to lie to you and say wet peas. Some people eat mushy peas. We just like them wet. Just, just the wetter, the better. Spread some water on them. Spread some. We get the butter knife and spread some water on those peas, and I will eat them during any break. <laughs> but now it's time to talk about our next documentary. Speaking of eating wet peas, yes. The next one I watched was City of Gold. Oh, aka what wishing he was Philip Marlowe is to Greg, so Jonathan Gold is to Daniel. <laughs> this was released in 2015, directed by Laura. Gabbert, I got the DVD from the library. Cool. Have you seen this? 
Stop no, me if you've seen this. No, this is along Our with... Our favorite segment, Stop Me If You've Seen stop, This. Yeah, one. Stop Me If You've Seen This. Along with LA Plays Itself, City of Gold is the other one that gets recommended really? to me all the time. And I this is this is the one that... I mean, I've, I like the... I, I make it sound like I hate LA Plays Itself. <laughs> it's just that it gets recommended. It's very good. We both... Didn't we see it together? Or? No. Okay. Because no. I saw it at the Aero Theater. Yeah. And the air conditioner was broken and it right. broke. It was broken. It was broken. And it was really hot. And the director was there to talk about it. So it was like, uh, we just watched this three hour documentary and in the middle of summer. With, and now you want to talk to me? No, thanks. <laughs> but City of Gold also sounds really interesting. I just never gotten around to it. But it gets recommended to me a lot. Well, if you haven't, if you haven't heard, yeah, saw me if you heard this one. It's about the Pulitzer Prize winning LA Times food critic Jonathan Gold. It follows him around the city in his truck which cool. I think is the same truck you drive. He's got an S10? As he, uh, you got truck nuts on that thing? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a real truck guy. As he goes around to a few restaurants around Los Angeles, there's interviews with chefs and writers about his work. Lots of driving around, which cool. you would really love. I like, do. He even talks about, like, I just like getting in my truck and driving around Me Los Angeles. Me too, brother. As his writings did, the documentary highlights the unglamorous parts of LA that people like us and anybody listening really love that have their own type of beauty. It celebrates the city's multiculturalism as being its most important feature. Yes. I have my issues with Jonathan Gold's recommendations. I always have, but I won't deny his importance. And I appreciate that he was highlighting strip mall type places rather than places like Spago. Yeah. And I, you know, he's, he's, he's spoiler alert. He's dead now. They don't talk about this. And they're talking about he's dead. <laughs> they don't have his death live on camera. <laughs> That's the bonus feature. Yeah. Click here to watch Jonathan Gold <laughs> die. Who, who hasn't gotten that pop up when they're on uh, RussianBots.com? So I do think the city is lesser without Jonathan. Yes. Gold. There's I no agree. denying that. Yep. But I do have my issues with his doc, with his recommendations, which I'll kind of get into more later. One thing he did that he talks about, he spent a year eating at every restaurant along Pico, which wow. is a dream yeah. of mine. Uh, not Pico. I, I do every restaurant around, along Slauson. Every restaurant along Slauson. That's what hey, I want I know eat. some good stuff on Slauson. I think they have a, a Tams. <laughs> My problem with it, we're getting to it. My problem with his recommendations is that nine of the, out of the 10 places that I've ever gone to that are like Jonathan Gold approves this place yeah. have not been very good. Okay. So my question is with this, this documentary kind of got me thinking maybe more than all the other ones about just like, does the success that is rained down upon a place that is blessed by Jonathan Gold ruin the place? Hmm, interesting. Do they get complacent? Do they stop trying as yeah. hard? And as a greater question for Los Angeles, do does success ruin everything in Los Angeles? Yeah, like it, it makes it so trendy that the average person can't even go there. Be that a question of long lines or race prices, just because somebody somewhere said this is good. That's why I won't say out loud what my favorite bar in the valley is. Right. Even though uh, personally, we'll tell you. We'll tell you. Yeah. I'll if tell you, you work person. for a big publication. Yeah. We'll yeah. If you work for Vice, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> but that that's kind of like because uh, so many places I've been to that were Jonathan Gold approved, and it's mm-hmm. like mm, very good. Yeah. Like, well, you're you're saying it like it's objective. Remember that, like, no, it's has, food. It's food. It's, if it's good or bad. And everyone agrees. Uh, he has different tastes than you do. So like, it's bad. It's but, objectively bad. But 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 I am just as into these small, like I would much prefer to go to a strip mall place. Yes. Uh, but I really think it's just, it, it's a thing of like, oh, this place was told they were very good. Yeah. It went to their heads. They raised their prices. They stopped trying so hard. Like, sure. I feel like th- there were a few that, uh, that I've gone to, like I said, nine out of 10. Right. So there is the one like, oh, this is really good. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like I, I, I really just think it's a question of, Anything that kind of gets popular in Los Angeles is kind of consumed by its own popularity. Like either 
it destroys them from the inside or they are crushed by the spotlight on the outside. Yeah. Uh, Dodgers in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Choking is a national pastime. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what they're best at. Yeah. And this is really where choking culture starts in Los <laughs> Angeles. Talk to us about all the actors that choked in a closet jacking off. <laughs> if one thing Los Angeles does great, it's eating foam that it shouldn't <laughs> eat. That kind of leads me to my next point about this documentary. So it's almost 10 years old at this point. It feels, I imagine, much different than it did when it first comes out. Because okay. the last four years, I think, have made everything worse. Okay. City, uh, nation, worldwide, worldwide. Since, since COVID happened, I think it made everything in Los Angeles a little bit worse. Oh, okay. The city got so much more expensive. A lot of places charge more for less, yeah. worse food. Yep. Like they give you smaller portions and they've kind of given up. They're not trying as hard because people's, you know, why work harder when your wages aren't mm-hmm. enough to keep you housed? So this felt to me more like an ode to a form of Los Angeles that's gone. And it kind of made me really sad to watch this. Like to think that these strip mall type places are often as expensive now as the upscale places that he avoided going to were. And the average person's salary isn't keeping up to match that. Mm-hmm. Like even going to some of these places, it's like cost prohibitive. Yeah. Which was the food point? Uh, food tr- like food trucks. It's an egregious how it, much it's they crazy. Charge like you. these are the places he was celebrating of like this is where the people can eat. And at this point, with everything that's happened in the last four years, like people have gotten greedy, mm-hmm. and it's like the gap between the haves and have nots, yeah. or the hungry and not hungries has grown. And it feels really sad to me. Of like, would Jonathan Gold have approved this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, because like it really feels like a lot of things in Los Angeles have gone in a bad direction in the last four years. Quality of life has dropped so much. Uh, yeah. And quality of food, which is more important. More is certainly more important. It really got me thinking about that of like, does Los Angeles suck now? <laughs> I mean, according to everybody who comes here to be an actor. Yeah. Um, and it always has. I mean, it's really hard to live in the city. I mean, I'm, I'm, I went to a food, a, a taco stand the other day and it's $10 for a burrito. Like, and that's cheap compared to other places. Certainly is. If we went to Las Fuentes today, we would pay much more than we do. $20 each. $20 each. I, we, we went to Zanku recently and it was so expensive. I couldn't believe it. It was like I was going to a restaurant. Yes. It's, that's the thing. Like, if my wages have gone up that much in the last four years, it wouldn't be a problem, but they haven't. Yeah. So, well, my, my, you know, the, the uh, minimum wage has gone up, which is great, but, but it's not so gone every, as much. Yeah. <laughs> and so is everything else. Now everyone else is charging just as much to pay for the minimum wage workers there. So like it, 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 it's the carrot on a stick. Like it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, and I can't even afford the carrot. <laughs> I can only eat the stick now. How much is a string to hold the carrot onto the stick? <laughs> You're charging how much for carrot in the stick? Give me the whip. Uh, the whip is always free. Yeah. You charge me for whip now? I ate whip and now I got to go to a cat hospital? <laughs> and how much is that? One of the, the worst things that has been a new trend mm-hmm. in Los Angeles restaurants lately is that places have started charging extra for chips, yep. for tortilla chips. Yep. And that is so offensive to mm-hmm. me. Like, give me something. Give me something. I'm paying so much. Give me something. Yeah. But out of curiosity, I kept note of the places that he went to in the movie to see if they are still open. So we got Geronimo Tacos, gone. Antojitos Carmen, gone. Marisco Salisco, still around. Tuamec, gone. But Petit Tois still exists, also prohibitively expensive. Jitlada, still around. Nanjing Kitchen, I think, still around. Meals by Gannette, or uh, I always called it Janet, and then they called it Gannette, and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, she's not French. She's... Ethiopian. 
So it's still around, but I have always found them. This is one of the places that mm. I went to recommended by Jonathan Gold and was very disappointed. I found it not good, overrated compared to other places in Little, Little Ethiopia. Kogi Barbecue, still around. They gave me the worst food poisoning I've ever had <laughs> in my life. Recommended by Jonathan Gold. Right. Um, he also recommended a great plumber for... Uh, <laughs> All his writing was just to help promote this plumber. <laughs> King Taco still around. Chengdu Taste still around. That was one place that I really liked that I went to. Atari Sandwich Shop still around, but I fe- also felt that was overrated. Moles, Latia, Gone, Guela Guetza still around. Oh, Earl's Grill still around as Earl's on Crenshaw. So in the end, 10 of the 14 are still there, but a lot of these places, like I said, have become very expensive. But even the non-food places that they talk about in this... LA Weekly is pretty much dead, who he used to work for. LA Times is slowly dying. KCRW is bleeding out. They even went to LACMA, which is no longer there. And mm-hmm. Jonathan Gold himself is dead. So it just felt very melancholy. Ghost like, of Los Angeles that's yeah. gone. And it wasn't even that long ago. It was not. The, and that was not at all, obviously not the intention. Like this yeah. was a celebration of Los Angeles. And in 10 years, not even 10 years later, it feels like a whole other time that's never coming back. And it felt really sad to me. That's, uh, you've depressed me so much. Um, yeah. Like this was supposed to be a celebration of Los Angeles. I was like, oh yeah, that was a good form of Los Angeles, but like it, it's not like that anymore. And we were probably around at that time saying the Los Angeles that we love is gone. Right. It during a heyday, another heyday. And probably right now there's some sort of influencer heyday that we want to, I really want to hang every influencer in the city (laughs) on a wonderful, beautifully uh, painted scaffolding. The, the, scaffolding of uh, that ocean view plaza yeah, <laughs> yeah no it, it it just that this one of more so than the crypts and the bloods like bummed me out a lot yeah of just like yeah that's gone i driving i take the streets to work sometimes and I, that's a mistake only in that i pass so many places where i'm like well that used to be meltdown that's gone now right like, amoeba used to be here it's gone now yes. like the cinema dome the, like all these things that we love when they're just th- getting priced out yeah for no, for nothing, for nothing, for a place that's going to be around. It's some gimmicky place for influencers that's right. going to be around for half an hour, or a cam- be, or a cannabis store, or a cannabis. <laughs> store. Everything's just becoming cannabis stores now. Which oh, God bless cannabis. Um, <laughs> two people who don't smoke marijuana, <laughs> but we do a lot of cannabis. Yeah, yeah. This one just felt very sad. Yeah, it feels like it we're tailing behind San Francisco, and we're going to be, uh, you know, a completely vacant city. And right. yeah, once one industry buckles, it's going to be like a ghost town here. Yeah, once TikTok is shut down yeah, by the government, by the government. This whole city is going to crumble. Um, so what's your next documentary? Wow, great. <laughs> Lead me right into it. I think I'm going to talk about, if I know your next one, well, you have two more? Left? I have two more. I'll talk about, I don't want to end on the quasi-documentary that I watched. Okay. So I'll talk about The Exiles next. It makes the list sometimes as a documentary, and it, it, it in certain ways it is. It's Let's see what year it was done. I think it was 1961, The Exiles. Yeah, 1961. I haven't from, seen it. Thanks from for asking. Kent McKenzie. Available on Canopy, if you're oh, interested. okay. Free through the Alley Public Library. Uh, I've got a Canopy uh, coming up soon. And it follows working class Native Americans in Los Angeles who've moved oh, here wow. from, yeah, uh, from a reservation, I think, a town in Arizona. And a lot of it is downtown LA. A lot of it is, you see Bunker Hill a year before it was knocked down. You see the Angel's Flight when it used to be next to the tunnel. Oh, uh, they so hang this on is a, 1961? 61, huh. yeah. It's black and white, 16 millimeter. It got um, restored recently, so its name started to circulate again yeah, and this, the, this sounds very canopy it's very canopy yeah <laughs> uh, absolutely very canopy it, they they uh shoot a lot of it on broadway because it, it just kind of follows this couple the the woman's sort of lonely she goes to the roxy theater which is on broadway to watch a movie her boyfriend or her husband just wants to party with the boys and you kind of <laughs> follow him and they a lot of it doesn't feel 
necessarily Native American centric. It's sort of just like low income people of color. But as the night goes on, I think they go, they call it like Hill X to go above the city. So it must be Elysian Park if they're still close to downtown LA, but in a, in a hill. And they, they, they play like ceremonial tribal music on drums. I've never and stuff. heard of, I haven't even heard of the concept of this. What is it, a Native American? <laughs> I, I've like never, me, like I was born here yeah. too. I, I've never heard of this documentary. Yeah, it, it, cause it's, I don't know if it's a, it, it cause it writes the line because the characters, I, I think there is a term for this. Yeah. Uh, Greg made this up. This was a fever dream of Greg. Yeah. But yeah, I think there is a term of this where it's like a, a documentary that's like kind of produced of like, yeah. they, it's real people doing real things, but they're like, it's almost like a reality kind TV of, show. It, yeah, it leans more towards reality show where like the people are not playing characters. They're playing a version of themselves. Yeah, a narrative is being up. told, but a documentarian with a camera is following them through the night right. trying to capture them being real. So it's like a documentary before documentaries are really a thing. Yeah. Um, uh, um, what's it? What, uh, cinema verite maybe? Maybe something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's my that's my term. That's uh, my term. This episode brought to you by Cinema Verite <laughs> and Jordan Morris. Are, are the two different? <laughs> but it, it is very interesting, and it's a lot of you know old LA that is gone now. Bunker Hill, obviously, but it it kind of doesn't really go anywhere. It's a sort of like I kept saying, like it's Jim Jarmusch without any fun. So it's Jim Jarmusch. Shut up! Why I oughta? But it 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 feels like a very important piece of film. This be still yeah, kind of kicking that's around. That's why it's on canopy. That's why it's on canopy. Yeah, it, along I, with the proposal or whatever, they yeah. have like the most highbrow and the stupidest and things. The, on yeah, and the stupidest highest budget thing on there. <laughs> it's important. I, I think it's important. Just like there, there are some rooms and doors that they go into when they go over people's houses. Where I'm like, that's the exact door that my family had growing. <laughs> or like, I go to my aunt's house like that. Like, there's so much familiarity in this. Yeah, um, Th- that's how I feel when I. <laughs> Is exactly the same. This other documentary, Malcolm in the Middle. Jesus. <laughs> um, when, I, when I watch that of like, the, I have that, I, have, I used to have that same poster in my room. Yeah. The layout of this house is exactly yeah. like the layout of my house. <laughs> yeah. It's great that it exists and it's, they, it's restored, beautifully restored by, I think that they went through the UCLA's film restoration thing. But I think you should watch it even if it's not much happening. And it's some of the worst ADR I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> It's sort of like a low rent American graffiti where you're just following a bunch of people through the night and seeing what they do and what they do for fun at night. This sounds like this is a, a good slice of life in Los Angeles, yeah. night, circa 1961 or whatever you said. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's 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 not happy at all. It's it's like the woman who you're following, the wife is very sad. She's pregnant and she has like no her, you know, her boyfriend, or her husband just it, it wants to party all night. And I was way too familiar with some of the what else character- is he supposed to do. Way too familiar with some of the characters in this of like, yeah, I know I, I have a family, I, but right. I'm still young and I want to party. Uh, <laughs> and then the camera turned around and was looking at you. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, this this feels like because there's a lot of things that are on the canopy and also like the Criterion collection yeah. of when I watch it, I'm like, why is this on here? Like, this wasn't a good movie or like a good documentary. It's or whatever. important. It's important. What it captured is not captured anywhere else. Yes. Like, you're not going to see this footage anywhere else. And that's why it's there. And it's okay to be boring. It's okay to be... Hey, we've been saying that for 10 years of LA Meekly. It's okay it's to okay be boring. It's okay to be boring and not funny. <laughs> we add an addendum to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're also not funny. It's, it's also okay to smell. We've always said yeah, that. Yeah, to have visible stink lines. It's okay. <laughs> That's why it has to be a podcast. No video. You can't see our stink lines. You want to hear my next one? Yes, please. So this one is also uh, stretching the lines of a documentary because this is a uh, ostensibly a concert film. Sure. 
my next one is Watt Stacks. Watt Stacks. A very good concert. <laughs> I've heard the album. AKA, you know what? I can dig it. <laughs> this was released in 1973. I got a DVD from the library directed by Mel Stewart, who's the same guy who directed Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Is it really? That's funny. Very weird. Yeah. Uh, almost sister movie, double feature. Watt Stacks and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You know you're getting it from a Stewart. You know, you're getting a Stuart picture. It's a Stuart flick. A Stuart flick, yeah. Uh, this is, uh, it has a semi-host of sorts being Richard Pryor introducing oh, cool. things and then kind of going through his act throughout the whole thing. Yeah, that's a good show. Have you seen, stop me if you, if you, our signature segment, stop me if you've seen this one. I have not seen one. I've not seen this I've one. heard the record or the album before, but I haven't. Oh, did they, they release it? They it's, released re- it's released as an album, but I mostly know just like what bands, I can't remember even what songs or Richard Pryor was hosting. I just what? remember like, oh yeah, like what, uh, Sly and Family sounds pretty good. I I don't so we'll get into this is a concert documentary of sorts about the six or seven hour Watt Stacks concert at the Coliseum on August 20th 1972 which was a fundraiser for Watts seven years after the uprising yes. so it was a concert of a bunch of the Black Stacks records stars of the day and was for a 99% black audience filmed by a mostly black crew and was just a pure celebration of being black mm-hmm. and there's a few shots where like that guy's not black like, yeah. there, like there's some white people in the audience <laughs> the cops are here <laughs> Everybody scattered. <laughs> We've been infiltrated. But like we we were afterwards, Melissa was like, how did the white people feel being like, like this wasn't for that. Like I would love to have gone to this yeah. show. But at the same time, like there is a lot like they make they at the beginning, there's a speech and like they have everyone chanting like black power, like yeah. black is beautiful. I was wondering like, did the white people there like look to the people next to him and be like, can I raise my fist? Like, I would have also wondered like, yeah. is it appropriate if I jump into, right. uh, or do, should I clap for you? Should I clap? Or, <laughs> is there like an accompanying celebration I could do that isn't <laughs> stepping on anyone's toes, but I could just show that like, I like being here. Thank you for inviting me. Am I also allowed to dance? Yeah. <laughs> but like, anyway, this isn't about the white people. It was about the, it was about the black people there. So it has one of the best openings of all. It has the best opening of all these documentaries. It starts with a shot of the Watts Tower and then Watts itself set to what you see is what you get. And it's so, so good. I love that. Like 1972 or whatever I said, Watts with that song. Oh, it's great. It's so good. Yeah. There's a lot of great music, but weirdly, not as much as you would think. I'm not saying the music was bad and just not as much music is in this documentary. Most of the groups, I had no idea who these people were aside from the staple singers, Isaac Hayes and a couple others. Yeah. I don't know who these people are. I always thought there was like a lot more, like, I don't think Sly and the Family Stones was there. Yeah, maybe like, not. Yeah. Like I thought, I always thought there were more groups who I'm more familiar with in this and there isn't. It's weird and also not weird that there's not that much focus on the actual music right. in this because intercut throughout the whole thing are interviews with average people around Watts about the music sometimes, but mostly about what living in Watts is like. It's kind of like how the Crips and the Bloods thing was like, it's not really about these gangs. It's kind of about people's lives in Watts and what that was like, what the uprising was like, and also what being black in America is like, both the good and the bad. And that's where this, I think, is at its best is when its purpose, it keeps you so off balance. Yeah. With the joy of the music playing set to the scenes of black people just being happy around Watts Mm -hmm. and elsewhere in the United States, but then quickly intercut in that is scenes of the uprising, like yeah. the fires, the violence, the police brutality, p- images of slavery, like these horrific images. So it really doesn't shy away from talking about that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and showing you everything in the black experience yeah. of in America, the positive and the negative. Right. Like it, it's, it's, it is a, it keeps you off balance. That's like great. It, it really shows you 
everything that is offered to black people in America. And I expect that from Watts Stacks. Yeah, I guess I was thinking it was going to be more about the music, but it's like kind of brutal at times. Some of the conversations about are about certain black music styles like the blues, mm-hmm. but then also about like power dynamics and black relationships between like who's like, the, does the man have more say? Does the woman have more say? Yeah. The first time people were called a certain word, people tell stories about that. Oh, wow. Things like this. One line that stood out is nobody can pimp you, but your pimp ass self. <laughs> It showed a lot of day-to-day footage of life around Watts, including some Crips graffiti from a time before that got out of control. Like, it, it almost is just like, here's this building. What does that say on it? <laughs> Crips. Oh, no. Yeah. And also, uh, there's a really nice sequence of something that isn't represented enough in, you know, quote-unquote stories about Black people. Yeah. Especially back then, but just like, there's a long sequence of couples just being affectionate to each other, just like people holding hands on the street, sneaking a kiss or just like teasing each other. And especially after what the world at large saw seven years before coming out of Watts, like on the news, it was really refreshing of just like these people being people, like people in love. It was really nice, like that part of the documentary. At the Coliseum itself, you see the stage being built and the audience trickling in with incredible fashion on display Uh and a lot of weird pervert shots of like, (laughs) Oh, look how short these shorts are. <laughs> it, 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 I'm sure the cameraman was like, this is all I got. Yeah, Sorry. This, so I got this. I got four hours of feet. <laughs> Do you need that? There's a really great speech slash poem at the beginning that gets everyone chanting along. A lot of the performances feel weirdly low key yeah. compared to musical performances that you see today. Like I'm thinking, you know, like whatever just happened at the Super Bowl. Right. Like These are just people on a stage, like kind of dancing. Like there's not fireworks. There's not things. Some of them put on some crazy, you know, they they make a performance. One guy, there's one standout. This is what, um, what before Melissa left, she said, All right, make sure you talk about the dance oh, sequence. Oh, right. That's this, this is what she was talking about. So once he was a, a guy I've never heard about doing a song I've also never heard of, Rufus Thomas, okay. who steals the show doing a five minute long version of what I guess was his big hit, Do the Funky Chicken, uh-huh. where people stormed the field and all proceeded to do said funky chicken. I feel like I noticed because of the Simpsons. <laughs> I, I don't remember but that. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. It is like first he's on stage. He's wearing he comes out in like he's, an, he's this is a guy like in his 50s. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. comes out wearing a pink cape. Uh-huh. He takes off the cape and he's wearing like a pink tuxedo with pink shorts. Hell yeah. And he starts making chicken noises and we're like, what is about to happen? And then people store they lit they run on to the grass and everyone's doing the funky chicken for five minutes wow it's it was insane (laughs) and because like no other musical performance in this documentary got that much time as the five minute funky chicken (laughs) performance this was the show this is why people gathered at the coliseum (laughs) this is what people paid for (laughs) what you see is what you get and you get the funky chicken the, the big closer is uh, Isaac Hayes, whose oh, entrance is assisted by Jesse Jackson and is so funny. Like they make such a meal out of revealing yeah. Isaac Hayes. <laughs> and then he sings Shaft. That's and everyone start, and everyone is chanting along like Shaft. Like, <laughs> like everyone in the audience, you hear all these, all these people yelling Shaft. That's great. That's my kind of show. There's a lot of Richard Pryor stuff that is often funny and often very sad as Richard Pryor is. Mm-hmm. It's a very casual documentary. They don't even put labels on the screen of most who each performer is most of the time. And I kind of wish there were more people I had heard of. And it's a little meandering at times. I did kind of wish they told me more about what this concert was and how it came together. Cause I think that's yeah, interesting. That's the documentary and I also itself. don't really know that. Uh, and it was 
barely about music, like I was saying. And it was that's kind of the point of this. Like it was about sort of a celebration of black life. Yeah. And it was a very, very affirming look at black culture that shows a lot of horrible stuff, but acknowledges it and can still laugh and be happy and is very optimistic for the future. We're not which, defined by the riots. It was yeah, just a part of everything that happened. This was a such a positive look at black life in America, yeah. which ended up to being uh, sad. Like, you know, because yeah. this was the the optimism after all these events. Like this was the optimism after Watts. And then look what happened 20 years later. Yeah. I don't, it's hard to say it was the most fun documentary sure. of all these yeah. because there's a lot of not fun stuff in it, but like the music, the musical performances are fun of what you get, what you see is what you get. What you see is but what you get. Yeah. I, I was expecting there to be like, I guess I don't know that many Stax record stars. I know Isaac Hayes. I know the staple singer, but yeah, there, there was a lot less than I was expecting. Okay. But you probably like it. You like this crap. I like this crap. Uh, I would probably like it. Albert King is on the record. I remember that. It sounds a little bit like, and I, I maybe, uh, maybe I should watch Watch Tag before I make the opinion. But like, uh, like, do you remember Dave Chappelle's Block Party? No. Oh, okay. That was a very good concert movie. What does he, it have to say about trans people? What is it? it was it was pre-trans opinion, but that that was done by the guy who did um like Eternal Sunshine and um. Not Andy Kaufman. No. No, Andy. Not Andy no, Kaufman. No, it's, it's, it's like Gondry. It's Michelle Gondry or oh, Michael right. Gondry. I never know how to say French names. But it's like a concert film, but you also follow Chappelle around and there's comedy. And it's it's not just a concert film, but the, it, everything is moved in peace so, so well. It's what Stacks I sort of assumed was the same thing. Yeah, it because I was kind of thinking about like Woodstock or something yeah, like yeah. that, which this kind of was Black Woodstock in a lot of ways. But like... I was thinking, oh, it's gonna. We're gonna see a lot of performances by these musicians, and it would like they aside from the Funky Chicken, they spent like forty seconds on each performer. Wow, they would. You, you think they gave everybody like a couple songs? They didn't. Like they, not even the staple singers. That's I don't crazy. think got their full song, but the Funky Chicken got five minutes the, of the Funky Chicken. I, I'm sure they thought like this is is gonna like <laughs> cultural milestone. This is what people will remember. But yeah, this is what people are gonna pull from Watt Stacks. But even if you just if you just want to watch that opening sequence, yeah. That is like award winning. Like yeah. the intercutting to the did it, yeah. did it, did it cool. to like, here's good, here's the bad. Like here's Watts uprising. Here's people having fun in Watts. Here's kids going to school in Watts. Here's people being dragged through the streets. Like it's so, it keeps you so off balance, wow. but in such a like- Engaging way. Engaging way that is eye-opening yeah. for a lot of for a lot of people. It, it, it's, it's really good. That opening sequence alone is- okay. And then you get to see Richard Pryor before he caught on fire. <laughs> for the Pryor fire. Yeah. I'm going to talk about a music documentary that I okay. watched. Okay. This is your last one. I'm telling you. Is this your last one? Yeah, I think it is my last one. Yeah, I'm giving you one more. Oh, you're so nice. I watched Echo in the Canyon. Okay. The uh, Let's see the full title. Hold the on. White Watt Stacks. The, yeah, but basically. Uh, and I realized I don't like neo-folk music at all. <laughs> How dare you? It was done by Andrew Slater, who only did that in 2018. And you follow Jacob Dylan around as he goes right. to everybody who lived in like the, the canyon area, Lowell yeah. Canyon. And oh, it's, hang on. Stop me if you've seen this one. I have seen this one. You have seen yeah, this I one. I have seen this one. We saw it in theaters. Oh, you saw it in theaters. Interestingly, this was the movie that made us realize what we wanted our first dance song to be at our wedding. Which was never my love because we heard oh, right. we, we knew obviously we know this song but they play it in this and afterwards we both kind of looked each at each other and we're like that's the song that's that we're gonna, great yeah so it was thanks to this documentary well one that, good thinking from the documentary 
I really love, and that's why we made Jacob Dylan our official. <laughs> he because of who his father is, and he is himself as a musician in his own right, obviously. So he gets like you know he t- hangs out with Tom Petty, which is cool. I love seeing Tom Petty. Yeah. The hero of the documentary to me was David Crosby because he was unlike everybody else. Oh yeah, he, so, I remember. If I remember so correctly, funny. wasn't he like putting everybody down? Yeah, he was putting yeah, everybody as down. David Crosby, but also did. like he put himself down. Like the reason that the brand broke up was because I'm an asshole. <laughs> it wasn't just like, yeah, everyone screwed me over the star. He was very clear about like, yeah, this I wasn't great. I'm David Crosby. <laughs> I wrote a song about a threesome. Um, but yeah, it, it just talks about that whole scene, yeah. the Laurel Canyon uh, sunset strip sort of scene in the sixties or whatever. And you know, the birds were the first band right. here. I know you hate the birds. I hate the birds. I hate the mamas and papas. I love mama cats. I hate the mamas and the papas. I cannot stand Oh, you don't like the pedophiles, the, 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 the incest pedophile. lovers and the weirdos <laughs> and the woman who loved him. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, I love the Beach Boys. Brian Wilson talks a little bit. They talk. Brian ab- Wilson has the, is the third host of this kind of, of this episode. He has been in so many of these. And I'm OK with that. Uh, our Mozart. Um, <laughs> but and then, uh, you know, Jacob Dylan Hanks, he performs a lot of songs from the bands at a, at a show. Uh, where was it? at? The, not the bowl or the creek. What's the other one? Yeah, what's the third one? Oh, the the uh, Starlight Bowl. Um, <laughs> Starlight Bowl. Yeah, but he hangs out with Beck, Cat Power, and I think Regina Spector. Right, and I they they're talking about the records they love. And Beck looks so uncomfortable in a very nice house. A very nice, a very nice house that we'll never be able to enter. Not legally. Not le- anymore. Not, not legally. I put it's wider than the Gidget documentary. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean. Yeah, look at that scene. That scene is very white. Jacob Dylan cruises around Hollywood. You pass like Sunset Sound, which is they, where they recorded pet sounds and stuff. Tom Patty tells a great story about winning pet sounds, the record over like a contest on the radio, basically, uh, which is f- funny to me. But yeah, no, I mean, like that, that is an important scene in Los Angeles in music history. The, you know, Laurel Canyon, Joni right. Mitchell, James Taylor sort of thing who aren't in the documentary. <laughs> um, but isn't, isn't Neil Young only in the closing credits and you see, doesn't, doesn't he like, it looks like Bigfoot playing music over the opening credits. And you're like, is that Neil Young? <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> That's what I remember happening. Cause like Neil Young is sort of skirted around in the whole thing and they never talk to Neil Young. Yeah. And then if I'm remembering correctly, you see Bigfoot playing. No. <laughs> guitar in a studio at the end it might have been just been bigfoot i don't remember that at all and i watched this two weeks ago (laughs) neil young is another like uh, you know he he features prominently but as far as i remember archival footage yeah yeah, but there was no modern there was no interview no talking head interview with neil young and then you see modern day neil young bigfoot playing music and you're like well you had him you had why didn't you talk because he probably was like don't talk to yeah i don't want to talk not into the same thing as (laughs) david crosby (laughs) (laughs) not if david crosby is going to be talking in this documentary it was good and it's very LA it's very like it, you know the real I never really understood why they all ended up in Little Canyon but it's like you know they all came from different areas of the country and that was like the the oasis of like nature it was a weird a weird spot a yeah. weird scene to have chosen yeah yeah and everybody goes to that country store or whatever yeah. that's in the middle of the Dane Gould's always talking about <laughs> um that I'll you know, it's a world that I'll never uh, be invited to but <laughs> not legally not legally again not legally it's maybe like the th- I feel like the third documentary I watched where like the Beatles changed everything, man. Mm-hmm. And he talked to Ringo Starr and he won't let D- uh, Jacob Dylan in his house. They have to stand by his car. Uh, it's great. <laughs> Last time I let a Dylan in here. <laughs> he got me high and all my and I got kicked out of the band for a while. I did not care for it very much, but I do like seeing Brian Wilson. Yeah, I, I remember liking it mostly just because of the music. Yeah, I, I do like that music. Yeah. I'm a soy boy, little snowflake white boy, but I like that music. So it was good. To be like, oh, yes, I remember these songs. Uh, yes. I remember these songs from the 60s. 
But yeah, I it you know it doesn't break any new ground or anything, but it does give you an overview of a scene that you and I are both are already kind of familiar with. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I wish I got more history and less talking head stuff, less like following yeah. Jacob Dylan around. I, I wish I I really knew the ins and outs because I am curious about like you know. I think what we're learning is every documentary needs two versions. There needs to be yeah. like the dummy's guide to this, yes. and then the like the less note. Like you're not going to hear these. Yeah. You're not going to read these things in a book. These are interviews with people who lived it. And everybody, the, the documentary keeps going back to this movie called Model Shop, which is like a, I, I guess like it, it's caught in the year where a lot of them were performing their best work. So it feels like the year that their years that they're talking about. And it looks like a Columbo episode <laughs> driving around L.A. in the 70, uh, 71 or late 60s. And it's interesting that that was kind of going on around the same time as the stacks, as mm-hmm. the one stack stuff. Yeah. Much like the Z-Boys and the Crips and the Blood sort of coming into their own, redefining their art in two very different ways. Yeah. Very close to each other. The Watt Stacks, which wasn't in LA, but like that sort of music going on at the same time as this sort of the white music going on in LA at the same time. White hippies, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And and, and, they go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah, they really do. I feel like every time I learn about hippies and singer songwriters, it's just feeding the mythos of Charles Manson. Yes, that, and then it was like, and then it all came to a crashing halt. Crashing halt, yeah. (laughs) When Charles Manson drove by one night. It really, like, oh, that's why he scared the bejesus out of everybody because all these rich white hippies were singing about being poor. Yeah, and (laughs) living very expensive homes in the canyon and then his one psycho and his uh, drugged out freaks came and, you know, spit on everything. They broke in not just wanting to skate in their pool. There's no pool. Skate in your blood. (laughs) Well, do you want to get to my last one? Yeah, let's do it. So this is the final one we've got. And um, yeah, this one took me by surprise. So my final one is Levitated Mass, a.k.a. Can You Smell When the Rock is Moving? <laughs> this was released in 2013, directed by Doug Prey, a.k.a. Doug Prey Love. Uh, I watch it on Canopy with my library card. It is about the story of the big rock outside of LACMA. Oh, I almost watched that. I put that on my watch list. I am glad you didn't. So this one was recommended by our Patreon patron, Alex Ago. Thanks, Alex. Alex Ago, the Russian bot. Yeah. Like I said, he works in film. He recommended this one to me. I was like, yeah, okay. This uh, rock. Melissa wouldn't even watch it with me because she's like, this is going to be so boring. Yeah. It sounds really boring. Like the premise, what I just said to you, nothing could sound more boring. Every Melissa could not be more wrong. You for thinking it's boring could not be more wrong. (laughs) So it gets into the background of the artist behind the levitated mask, Michael Heiser, Mm -hmm. and uh, shocking to two uncultured pigs like us, but probably not to a lot of people, how famous and influential this guy was in the 60s for he he did like outdoor landscape based art. Okay. They called it land art. He was very much one of the big 60s anti-art artists with an emphasis on the power of absence. And they showed it like... He did some weird, like crazy stuff and how it had a big influence on things like the design of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Wow, okay. And like just, he did weird things in the dead. Like you've got to see it to believe it. Yeah. But he did some crazy land art for, there's no other way to describe it out in the desert. They show the quarry where the rock, if you aren't familiar, there's a giant rock. It's called Levitated Mass and is a levitated mass of rock outside of LACMA that you can walk under. Yeah, it's like a little tunnel underneath it, so it hangs above you. Yeah, and it could fall at any moment. Any That's moment. the fun of it. So they show the quarry, where the rock came from in Riverside, and how he had been waiting for years for the perfect rock to be blasted out of the quarry. Jesus. And then once it was, how it sat, if I heard it correctly, 
in that quarry from 1969 to 2012 before he knew what to do with it. So it was just sitting there and people were like, don't touch that one. That's for this artist. Like, don't blow this rock up. Then it goes into the planning it took to make this insane journey. It weighs something like 750,000 pounds. So it was too big to just roll down the freeway because it was too heavy for most bridges and too tall for most underpasses. So they had to map out its 105-mile journey to LACMA, basically along side streets. Wow, really? So you see them going around measuring underpasses to make sure they had enough inches of headroom to get through. They had a binder of every single turn that the rock was going to take their plants to temporarily remove electrical wires along the street to get it through. Wow. The bureaucratic nightmare that was getting the approval from 22 different cities that it would be passing through to cooperate on this, this like pilgrimage that this rock was making, how the crazy contraption they built to carry it on worked. Jesus. Then, Did you just come put it in a Jeep? <laughs> can't I just drag it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Attach some bungee cores and drive really fast? Can I blow it up and then put it back together at LACMA? Yeah. Well, how about we split it open? Yeah. And do it in two halves. <laughs> Where the movie really comes alive is during the actual journey of this rock. We've talked many times about modern art doesn't make any sense, but then someone explains it to us and it's the greatest thing we've yeah. ever seen. This is that experience in movie form. Okay. Like on the surface, this is stupid. I don't get it. This is boring. And then it's explained to us. And I think this is my favorite documentary that I watched because like this rock being moved was national news at the time, but more importantly, it became a local celebrity. So all along its path, (laughs) people were there to watch it. And there are a bunch of interviews with people, just people there to watch the rock talking about the rock and it's great hearing everything people were projecting onto this rock yeah like many people felt it was stupid and a waste of money especially as it rolled through like south central they're like the rock it's a rock like i can't afford rent and they spend millions of dollars on this rock yeah many people didn't get it many people had weird alien conspiracy theories about it but many people had great metaphors and really insightful interpretations of not just the rock like the journey of the rock like people were talking about it being a solid foundation in a crazy world. One guy said that it showed him that everybody's journey is different, but if you take it one day at a time, you can do it. Okay. And I was like, this is the best. <laughs> this is the smartest man. And he's just a guy standing on a corner in diamond bar. Yeah. It had to make an unscheduled stop one day of all places in front of a church called the rock of salvation. Oh my and God. people were like worshiping. Like this is a sign from God, this rock people will worship anything. They will. But like, that's that's modern art. Like yeah. it'll mean anything you want it to mean. And like every single thing you think it means is great. Like that's what it means. It makes perfect sense. You also get to see a bunch of lesser areas in LA. Like I said, Diamond Bar, Hacienda Heights. Like it's a, it was a semi-early social media sensation and it got a lot of people excited and got people out onto the streets together celebrating this admittedly ridiculous thing in like a joyous way that felt like a much simpler time. Like there was a whole like street party in I think Long Beach when Pete or Signal Hill or something like when it passed through, like there were the perform musical performances, like people making balloons out of the rock, um, which is like the worst balloon art. It's a rock. It it reminds me of the John Mulaney joke of people used to just show up to see a boat yes, leaving or that's coming. What it fe- like if when Abraham Lincoln died and even uh, they did this similar thing with the Liberty Bell, I just learned like they took it, him, his corpse and also the Liberty Bell at a different time. They took it on like a train tour around the country so that everyone could see it. And people would just be along the train tracks 
to look at Abraham Lincoln's coffin yeah. or to look at the Liberty Bell, like you would just come like, and this happened not that long no, ago. This is not the 18th century. <laughs> no. Like I said, a simpler time. It kind of felt like LA at its best where people are coming together to just enjoy something, something kind of stupid together. People came to pay their respects. One guy proposed to his girlfriend at the oh walk. Oh my God. It was also like the artist intended. It was a throwback to the outdoor mega structures of ancient times, like the pyramids. Like it was like how watching how they built Stonehenge, like sure. the, the engineering marvel this kind of was to move this giant rock yeah. to Wilshire Boulevard. <laughs> It was like the prehistoric meeting the modern, which with this 900 million year old rock being dragged through downtown LA, which is when you finally get a sense for the size of it, when you see it passing by like the Wiltern, like you see like, I know how big that is. That's a big rock. Yeah. That rock is quite <laughs> large, actually. Uh, uh, the, Charlie Brown was not impressed. <laughs> uh, he should have been. If he got this, he would have been pretty happy on Halloween. The actual installing it at LACMA, which is when you, you get to see images of the now gone LACMA, which is nice. And the interviews with the artists are kind of the least interesting parts in all of this. Yeah. It was way more emotional than I was expecting it to be. Like it was, uh, might uh, might I say, it was very moving. Um, <laughs> it, it was a rocky start. Uh, <laughs> Solid. It felt victorious when the rock finally starts moving. Everybody's cheering when it finally parks outside of LACMA and they like honk the big oh horn. And everyone's up, like, it feels like you, we you did made, it. We did it. We, we all did it together. The, I helped move this yeah. rock. The power of enthusiasm moved this rock. It, it, it was real, like the power of humanity getting an impossible task done by planning and working together. Like it, they nice. did it. And, and one lady compared it to our century spruce goose of like, like she said, she watched the spruce goose being moved and she watched this being moved That's, and it kind of felt the same. Wow. And now it just sits there and is something we totally take for granted, much yeah. like we do much for take it for granted, <laughs> much like we do with uh, nature, which is maybe the point of this thing. Like it's just sitting there and we like, yeah, it'll always be there. Yeah. Maybe it won't be though. The art was in getting it here and it captured people's imaginations, which is exactly what art is meant to yeah. do. And I, I, this movie took me by surprise. I really think this was my favorite one. Uh, and it was about a rock being moved <laughs> from Riverside. <laughs> Love it. I highly recommend okay. this one. Like it is not boring. It is it's very good. Okay. I, that's if of all the ones you've talked about, it's probably going to be the one I watch. It's so weird that a movie about a rock was the <laughs> best. Like, like it, it really captured good modern art, I guess. Okay. I believe you. I, I, I can't wait to you until a weird. I'm really into rocks now. <laughs> yeah. You're really into rocks and moving them now. It's inspired your strange thoughts you have about rocks and how to move them. Greg, I moved this pebble. Yeah, yeah. Pretty impressive, impressive, right? I went to Riverside and moved this. Everybody pebble. help me. <laughs> Well, so that was my favorite. Which was your favorite one of the ones you watched? You know, honestly, I think it might have been the Ratfink one because I'm, you know, I'm just so tied to like car culture just because of like my family. Uh, but it like the, the documentary itself is a lot of fun. It's got a lot of people involved in it who I have a lot of love and respect for. But it's just like it it, it really captures, you know, I was talking to Ada about it and it, you know, I've, I've always said like as dumb and capitalist as it is, like I wanted to grow up. Lone Ranger pajamas, Lone Ranger right. mask, eating Lone Ranger cereal, watching the Lone Rangers <laughs> on a Saturday morning. Did, like, there's something about what they capture. It's like, yeah, I, I love the idea of like. That's why you like the Z Boys also. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, uh. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it, it captured like just kooky post-war America and how like yeah. everything was so much fun and monstery and silly. Yeah. And, uh, and you like how racist he was. This is so uh, relatable. I want to be wearing my racist mask, which yeah. is a KKK hood, <laughs> uh, eating my racist cereal, which is 
cornflakes cornflakes um <laughs> and, and cornflakes and what it's trying to get me to stop doing which i refuse, I refuse. that's racist to make <laughs> me stop doing that i'm glad that we went with well you watched one or two that you'd already seen or what but like one. i'm glad i went with things i had never seen yeah, because yeah. It, this was more fun to me than rewatching los angeles plays itself which i know i get it it's, it's good. good but like levitated mass was like it was a it was a uh, hidden gem inside of a big rock. It was a geode <laughs> all along. But yeah, I, I I really enjoyed watching a lot of new things for this. Yeah, tell you know, right in. What's your favorite alley documentary? Maybe we maybe now. Okay, now you can now recommend you can Los Angeles plays itself to yeah. us. So before we get to our listener question, uh, we've got a uh, pre question plug. <laughs> Uh, why not leave us a review on iTunes yeah. on Apple Podcasts? It's been if you a while, haven't yet. It's been a, it's been a while. It's been a while, as they say in Echo in the Canyon. <laughs> uh, you uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Just open up the Apple Podcast app on your iPhone and uh, leave us some stars, some words. Let us know. It lets people know. Hey, this show isn't bad. It's been around for ten years. It can't be bad. It can't be bad. It they can't, can't be bad. They must have learned how to research. I'll start with the one about doc- documentaries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and recommend to uh, all of the new LA Meekly listeners start with the ones where they don't do research they, they, and they just talk off the cuff start with the ones where they do listener questions yeah. <laughs> so now speaking of listener questions we have got one from Chris Myers hi Chris who is uh, another patron patron of ours so he asks is there an LA comedian or an LA comedy style are there city styles in comedy to begin with? I sometimes think of Bill Burr for Boston mm-hmm. or George Cullen for Jersey, but who for LA? Johnny Carson. Curious about what you guys think in the broader city style of comedy. It's funny he says Johnny Carson because there is like once Carson goes Hollywood, there he he, is, he does become all the things that we don't like about the city. Yeah, and where he has sports coats named after him, and he's perpetually spray on tanning. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There, there's a grossness of Johnny Carson that is very LA. I think LA. Because we have so many transplants, like it's it's an amorphous being like the L.A. comedy thing. But, you know, my my answer. Go ahead. Well, I mean, that's our experience with when we were comedians. Yeah. Yes. Uh, back when we were back when we used to be funny. Back in the heyday. Yeah. I there was there was a lot of um, a lot of I, I don't. This is the bad comedian. Like this is the bad version of an L.A. Yeah. comedian of talking about like dating and and like really kind of stupid snarky observations about things that aren't funny and just like here's my trauma yeah uh where's the joke uh (laughs) you forgot the part where it's funny we don't just admit an awful thing that happened to you this is just history plus time (laughs) but like we we saw a lot of that but then there were people like chris estrada my answer chris estrada who we would see around comedy who is the star and creator of this fool which just got canceled which sucks uh, because it was very very funny yeah that is a very LA show, but like his comedy style, like I, he was everything you should have been. <laughs> oh, I, Hey, don't think, I don't think about that constantly, <laughs> but he was so funny, born and raised in LA with a very good, like if you haven't watched this fool, like that was kind of a good thing. But his stand up too is also his very, LA. Was very good. Like some of the best LA people, like the, I don't know if these other, like Jack Knight, yeah. rest in peace long, the now gone Jack Knight was a very good LA comedian. Mm-hmm. The guy, what is his name from Saturday Night Live, uh, who we used to see around? Oh, Longfellow, Michael Longf- Longfellow. Michael yeah. Longfellow. I don't know if he was one of the best, but uh, he, he was very funny. Though he was very funny, and we would see him around. But like to me, what kind of feels like a quote unquote L.A. comedy style happened in the '90s with the Largo alt comedy, like right. Jimmy Garofalo, Pat Oswalt, yeah. David Cross, yeah. Um, 
uh, what's his name? Bob Oden. I was gonna, uh, better call Saul. Don't leave out your boy Dana Gould, who's also not from LA, but like that alt comedy scene that started at Largo. What's the other place? Um, it was like a bookshop. Yeah, Shoot. I don't remember what it was called. Uh, who cares? But yeah. like to me, if I had to pick sort of an opinion, because what LA comedy, like what I think it, LA is best at, I don't think is stand up right now. I think the improv stuff from Los Angeles, like UCB. Like people like Carl Tart or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the comedy bang bang sort of regular sort of yeah. people. I think that's what L.A. kind of you could say, what is L.A. comedy? I think it's improv that some people like to me, sort of the epitome of an L.A. comedian is Paul F. Tompkins. And sure. that's kind of the answer I was dancing around. Like he he was part of that Janine Garofalo alt comedy yeah. scene, but also transitioned into what I think the most vibrant comedy scene in L.A. is, yeah. which is the improv stuff. Right. And I think he's kind of the guy. Yeah, he's the guy. I straddled I, I, both worlds. I sort of hang a lot of it on him and Andy Daly. Yes, yes, uh, yes. As being like, yeah. uh, like uh, you know, they lean towards improv. They have like, they, they both done, done stand up, but the, the, their presence and all the characters they play, uh, it, fantastic. And I love them both very dearly. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if the stand up scene, maybe we're a little out of touch at this point, but I don't know if the stand up scene is or even in our time was as strong as the improv yeah. scene in L.A., was and is yeah like i think that those people are obviously much more successful and much funnier than most people we would see at open mics and such aside from chris estrada jack knight and michael longfellow yeah yeah uh i might you asked i mean the question was is there like a a comedy guy or or a girl anybody but chris estrada was my go-to answer because i'm like for stand-up yeah maybe yeah but but paul tompkins does but, but he is an older generation that i think has has um Span both generations. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I think he represents be it be you young or be you old. <laughs> that style of like you can do stand up, but you can do improv also. Yeah. I think that's kind of what it takes. Yeah. And I think everyone should go back and watch this fool and maybe you know. Yeah. Watch this fool. rally ra- yeah. rally behind a uh, Chris Estrada who's going to be at the maybe Yahoo can pick it up and make it their own series. Yeah. Maybe maybe we'll get picked up on um, Canopy Plus. <laughs> First Canopy TV. Yeah. Season. yeah, yeah. This yeah. fool season three. <laughs> Yeah, no, but but Chris Estrada was kind of, uh, I, I think if you could pick a sort of hometown boy does good yeah. for comedy, strictly stand up. Uh, yeah, Chris Estrada. Because yeah. what Steve Martin's from LA too, but I never like yeah. saw what he did in like, oh, LA. No, 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 no. Yeah, but he, I, when I watch Chris Estrada talk anywhere and I'm like, yeah, he's... I know I have experienced some things he's talking about. Yes. Yeah. Chris, I think Chris Estrada and Paul F. Tompkins are two strong picks yeah. for what, what LA has to offer. Yeah, I agree. So there's your answer. Take your Johnny yeah. Carson and get out. We like Jay Leno here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's been our documentaries of Los Angeles. There are so many more we could do. Yeah. But I mean, this is probably one of several. Right. Yeah. Every episode is going to be about documentaries. Uh, now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think these brought a good smattering of a, a good, foundation of uh, several of the foundational hist- several of the pillars of Los Angeles culture are- and also the foundation of a giant rock from Riverside. <laughs> rock me on the dais. Rock me on the dais yeah. that it's balanced on. But yeah, uh, go watch these documentaries. Yeah. A lot of them are available to you. And hey, this has been a long episode. Why not end it now? Yeah. Have a good March, everybody. March Madness. March Madness. Ma- Marsh Madness. Marsh Madness. Phantom will be back. He's mm-hmm. going to be stronger than ever in a few weeks. Yeah. He'll, he, He'll be able to eat as much foam as he wants. Foam has nothing on him anymore. <laughs> so that's been uh, yet another episode of LA Meekly. Sponsored by Canopy since 2013. 
which now has a weird new credit system that I don't quite uh, I understand. Don't, why tickets? Why what was tickets? wrong with what, what was four? wrong with seven movies a month or yeah, whatever? Yeah, uh, what, and this movie's worth two. Does that mean I only have half as much as I had before? But Past Lives is on there, so I have to keep. I have to keep watching. Uh, bye, bye. <laughs>